Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we talk about the things that go bump in the night and the rare occasions when those things go bump in our souls. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and I have come here to this abandoned crossroad of horror fiction and progressive politics so that I can sell my soul to the devil so that one lesbian couple can make it through a horror movie happy and alive. And who is this I see walking through the mist before me? Ben Kahn? Is, is that a comic book bound in human flesh you're carrying? What are you going to do with that? Sell it at conventions once they come back. Hi, everyone. Uh, ben Khan here. Excited to talk about Ready or Not. And carried upon gossamer wings. Another has joined us at the crossroad. Why, is that psych professor and comic psychology consultant Chris Carey? Wait, is that a bad horror movie boyfriend you've brought to sacrifice? What boon are you requesting from your progressive devil? Oh, I don't even need to get anything from it. I'm just killing him. Reasonable. Very reasonable. Hark! What is that sound? From the west, an infernal chariot is coming. It brings a special guest. Tell us, stranger, who are you? Why have you come here this night? My name is Justina Ireland, and uh, I came because you sent me an invite. <laughs> <laughs> is this not the podcast? I'm sorry, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> I mean, it's not yet the witching hour. So while we're waiting, uh, what say we talk about a horror movie and some progressive themes. I was thinking, I mean, if, if you guys have seen it, uh, why don't we talk about the uh, 2019 deadly game of hide and seek, ready or not, what say you all? Oh shit, the 2019 movie? I was just listening to the Fungi song like on loop for like two hours. I just Googled pictures of Adam Brody. Did I do this wrong? Now that we're doing, now that we're doing our own intros, I'm gonna spend the rest of the week coming out like brain shopping like new catchphrases. I like the phrase brain shopping. It's not what I've heard before. That's <laughs> like, are you, where do you go shopping for brain? I'm combining brainstorming and workshopping to make a new word that's better. It's better. I like that. <laughs> Much more horror ready. <laughs> like Jason Manzukis opens up every uh, podcast with what's up jerks. And I feel like I need to find a good way to insult the audience. <laughs> We're all super pleased to have Justina here with us. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Would you be able to tell people a little bit about your history with horror movies, Justina? Sure. So my name is Justina Ireland. Um, if you don't know who I am, I am the author of a book called Dread Nation, um, which is about what happens when the zombie apocalypse starts at the Battle of Gettysburg, with all the resulting fun that you can expect from that. For me, horror movies were always kind of in my life, whether I wanted them to be there or not. Um, I was the kid who everyone, I mean, like when you grow up in the 80s, right? Like uh, the parental guidance was a suggestion, not necessarily like real guidance. So I watched a lot of horror movies very young, um, usually in the theater or at a drive-in when those used to exist. Um, I guess they're coming back now. Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, all those classics. And then as I got older, I found my way into campier horror. So things like Puppet Master and the stuff, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I don't <laughs> know why, but one in high school, my friends and I, one day we can watch like all like eight of them. There are like, <laughs> some, I don't know. Yeah. So I like horror. Um, I like horror, especially when it's good because it so rarely is. Um, <laughs> But when it's good, it's amazing. Dread Nation is one of the best books I've ever read. So scary. And our audience will appreciate. Very queer. Yes. 
Absolutely. Lots of people thank of you. color. Thank yes. you so much. I like this movie. I like this movie. Thank you, though. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Justina. A little bit about the movie we are talking about before we start. Uh, it is called Ready or Not. It came out in 2019, just before movies stopped coming out. Um, uh, it is directed by uh, Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette. Uh, it, it is written by uh, Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy, and it stars uh, Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, and the amazing in this Andy McDowell. Who, who I'm sure we'll talk about a lot. Oh, Andy McDowell's just oh, oh. queen. I go into these movies as blind as possible. So I don't know what they're about. I don't know who's starring in them. So when the first moments of this movie are, it's Samara Weaving, it's Adam Brody. <laughs> I w- I'm like, we are a Sarah Swire and a Yolanda Noel away from having the entire progressively horrified, like, all stars. Honestly. It's all of our white favorites. <laughs> <laughs> if Yolanda Noel had been in this movie, it would have been so much, so much better. I, I love this movie, but that addition would have taken care of a lot of issues I have with this movie. I, there's yeah. really no movie I can think of that wouldn't be better if Yolanda Noel played so hard <laughs> in it. This is true. For, for anybody who doesn't know, just sort of an idea of what it is from a from like a trailer level is it's about a woman who has just gotten married into a very strange family who is forced into taking part of a, in a deadly game of hide-and-seek. Now, looking at our scare-level guys, would you say this is spoopy as in not scary, spooky as in a little scary, terrifying as in very scary, or just generally existentially disconcerting? I would put this at spooky, a little scary. It's like there's definitely some uncomf- very uncomfortable, legitimate gore, but mm. most of... The violence felt in that kind of spoopy, cathartic, slightly detached, usually coming with a funny one-liner somewhere along the way. Yeah, I agree. I think this is spoopy. It's definitely hilarious, too. So that, you know, cuts down somewhat on the scariness of it. Yeah, this is really pretty much a uh, an episode of Supernatural, but like a lady <laughs> that have a role, a speaking role. So it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm- <laughs> Shot of fire. Was- There's so many women in this. How do you do that? <laughs> Supernatural's oh, quaking. <laughs> In its grave. <laughs> Where it's it great. can't stay dead somehow. Okay, I'll give Supernatural this. It squeaked in just under the wire to beat this movie on Queer Rep. Two <laughs> 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 minutes of Supernatural history. <laughs> it is, it's just somewhere between spoopy and spooky. Like, there are some, some legit jump scares in here, yeah. but there, there's not there... much in the way of, like, big supernatural scares. There's, there's nothing yeah. that's going to be keeping you up at night, I don't think. But for the most part, it's like every big violence moment comes with that almost like, uh, if you were sipping coffee, like, you would do a spit take. <laughs> mm. 100%. Uh, as far as trigger warnings, I think the biggest one for this is gaslighting. There is uh, an amount of violence and uh, yeah, some, some definite jump scares in there as well. But excitingly, um, no rape. That's a nice thing for a horror movie. <laughs> feel like nice and rare. I feel like that's been a recurring thing. I feel like the last like four picks or so, we've been able to be like, oh, no sexual violence. That was nice. Like we've had no, a nice. No, no we had Black Christmas in there. We did have Black Christmas. Never mind. There's uh, none of it at all in this movie, which was nice. That made this movie really fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the like, bar is low sometimes okay <laughs> the bar is like it's always worse <laughs> when you get like you know that kind of like a little bit of that first purge sense where it's just like 
or even just like, oh, look at this bad guy is bad. Do you get it now? It's like, yeah, we got it before you did this horrible thing that I didn't want to see. Yes. (laughs) These characters managed to make themselves plenty bad without any rape at all. So yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the Satan worshiping child murderer was (laughs) evil enough before he tried to sexually assault the main character. (laughs) That's not a specific movie. I'm just pulling random things out of thin air. And yet everyone everyone (laughs) listening is like, yeah, that movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, I, if you can already They're pick all one thinking up, great, of a different like, movie. Yeah, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I guess it won't be subtweeting. I'm not sub podcasting any specific movie. <laughs> Feed at us what movie you think Ben's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now that is the end of our non-spoilery section. So if you do want to watch the movie and you don't want us to spoil it for you, this is a, a good time to to head out and go do that. We'll still be here when you get back. Uh, we will be talking about you while you're gone, but mostly about how we <laughs> admire your sense of style and witty banter. So take your time. All right. All right. Now that we're in the spoilery section, can we just start off with the fact that this movie has the chippiest chip to ever chip? Oh, God. <laughs> so, this chip, is so, Justina, the- I should say, Chip is our rating system of bad horror movie boyfriends. He is oh. the boyfriend from Jennifer's body, but he is nothing on Alex. But that's, like, I don't know. Like, Chip is bad, like, all the way through. Like, Alex isn't really, you don't really think Alex is bad until the end. Yes. I, rewatching I, it, I feel like it was under the surface the whole time. The you know? scariest part of Alex, especially at the end, mm. is how convinced he is of his goodness. Right. Yeah. yeah. I will I will flag the exact moment I turned on Alex in this movie when we get there because there was definitely a moment pretty early in the movie where I was like, oh, I am so done with this dude. You I, mean the, the moment when he didn't tell her? <laughs> to me, the biggest red flag was when he was giving her that being like, I'm giving you an out. And it's but like, not telling you why. You were telling her nothing. Like, this is so you can feel justified after the fact. Like, oh, I gave her a chance. Like, yeah. I think, Justina, you want to defend him a smidge? Is that what I'm I hearing? I do want to defend him a smidge. And I think it's because hindsight being what it is, right? Sure. Obviously, if he really cared, he never would have gone back to his fucking family manor, right? Like, right? And they could have just eloped and gone to Vegas. Look, it's <laughs> for everybody else. It could be good enough for you. Yeah. But, I do think there is like this whole thing that's really well done, especially mm-hmm. with, with Andy McDowell, because she's like, I want you to bring him back to the family, right? He's been a bit right. of the black sheep and, you know, we want to make amends. And like, she's such a likable actor. Yeah. It's a bit of the, the knives out moment with, yes. uh, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. With, with, with the Chris. I can't remember which Chris it is, but where uh, he's Evans. such a likable person in real life. You don't think he's a bad person in the movie. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's really well done because like, I was really like, maybe this guy really is feeling like some kind of way about this. And then he's a piece of shit, which we all know happened. But anyway. (laughs) They they do a good job of building the catch 22 of it, which we'll talk about a little bit as we go, which is that like. Yes, but I I will tell you the 12 ways he could have got around it. I I mean, they explain why they couldn't have eloped, but he could have insisted or explained it to her why they could never get married. Or, I mean, he says, like, you would have left, like, or he could have just let her leave him if it meant, like... let me throw this out there. He obviously was not opposed to lying to her. Say they're dead. She could never prove it. Like, (laughs) I'm just saying, say you're an orphan. Like, he could have done a million things other than be like, I have a family and I won't tell you why I won't see them. 
but it's so well in that like yeah. family approval kind of yeah right yeah. Alex like, a lot is, of people fall into yeah I don't true. morality is <laughs> dependent on him still getting the thing he wants which uh-huh. is grace and yeah. he kind of multiple times says that she makes him better that she's the only reason he's good which you know for me pretty big red flag that he maybe wasn't that great before meeting her yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Was anybody else wondering, like, why they were together during the movie? Because, like, very early on, he's, like, so bland. And, like, she's, like, so, like, she's kind of, like, funny and, like, snarky. And, like, the girl you would want to buy a drink at the bar. And then, like, he's just kind of, like, a lump of a person. Well, I mean, once we get Daniel's (laughs) definitive, like, face turn. Oh, yeah. And Brody's Daniel is just, like, a Byronic hero. Like, he's a very classic Byronic hero. And holy shit, is that chemistry just so much more. Pumping. When she says at the beginning that he's hitting on her, which by the way, we don't ever see, so I don't think it was really happening. I think what she means is we have more chemistry than I do with his brother. Like I nice to me and I don't know what that's like. Like when (laughs) I don't know what it's like when people are just nice to me. I assume that when Alex like made his full-on heel turn one of the, i wrote down it's like okay good i don't have to feel bad about like wanting like, like tomorrow weaving and adam brody to be together now Wait, okay when adam brody walks in with that facial hair in that suit and i'm just like we're supposed to root for the other guy okay <laughs> sure I mean, we were just talking about Happiest Season, and it's got a real feeling like Happiest Season, where you're like, Are we supposed Adam to be Brody is the Riley of this movie. another couple I want to see happen. Yes. What threw me off the Adam Brody trail was pure just, that, and I think it really helped, like, the is he good, is he bad um, yeah. motif throughout the movie is, I saw him, and my brain instantly went to like, oh shit, it's low shoulder. <laughs> don't, tr- don't fucking trust him. He's going to sacrifice you to the devil. Like, so <laughs> I was all, so like, I had one foot in the like, oh, it's low shoulder. He's the, like, he's the villain. He, I mean, no, he was right. the villain no, in Jennifer's say, body. He has to be the villain here. Let yeah. me say, that guy that looked like that during Jennifer's body definitely has the exact same beard as uh, Adam Brody's character does in 2019. Like, <laughs> That's <laughs> extremely true. Indie band and all looks exactly like that dude in 2019. <laughs> and it's so probably I, an alcoholic, you know? Yeah. yeah. I will say Adam Brody, in a, in a long career of looking very handsome, has never been more stunning than he is in Ready or Not. Like, my, is... my like 15-year-old self that watched The O.C. where he was a nerd was watching this movie going, what is happening? <laughs> it's real so so before we talk about adam brody for two hours uh jump into this recap uh we're gonna go kind of scene by scene and and talk through things that happen and discuss them a bit here so this movie uh has so many horror movies starts with a flashback some point in the past where we're following around little daniel and little alex who will be the you know main brothers that we follow throughout this daniel hides alex in a large wardrobe Uh, He does not go to Narnia, but instead gets to sit in the wardrobe while Daniel rats out this guy who's being chased through his house and being shot with arrows. And yeah, this this guy who's dressed as a groom 
and we see people uh, come drag this kid away and congratulate Daniel on getting him killed, despite yeah. the fact that this guy apparently trusted him. And um, all the people are wearing like these creepy masks. Oh yeah, they're straight out of the purge. I love the explanation for the masks <laughs> yes. later in the movie. <laughs> Like, it's just the yeah, 80s. Yeah, it was the 80s. And that's the explanation. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Every every cult had masks in the 80s, you know? Like I also this love is it. a fun movie. It really is. I also love that the character that will later be revealed to be the aunt, who is the bride in this scene, yeah. is super 80s glammed out in her, her wedding <laughs> dress. It's a quick flash where we get the title card and we're, we're to the present, where we're introduced to about half of our cast of characters in this first scene. Our main character, Grace, who is played by Samara Weaving, is sitting around in her wedding dress waiting for the wedding. Throughout the course of this scene, we'll also meet Alex, who is her husband-to-be, played by Mark O'Brien. Daniel, who is his alcoholic brother, played by Adam Brody. And also see Stevens, the butler, who's played by John Ralston. Supremely creepy while not really doing anything creepy. He just So the whistling later on is very creepy. Samara Weaving is once again fantastic in this movie. And just like Mayhem makes smoking look so cool. Apparently Samara Weaving was like, she hasn't smoked in like 10 years before this. And was very nervous about smoking in this scene. But like... Oh no. Yeah, something about Samara Weaving... Smoking, just, I don't know. I don't know what it yeah. is It works. She's, her introduction is really fun, too. She's bantering on. with herself so much, and it's, like, really funny. Well, no characters are there to bounce off of, so it's very impressive. Okay, if you haven't seen the new Bill and Ted movie, she's hilarious in it. Like, she is so funny. And us, I would watch, again, that's not to be a Bill and Ted spinoff, just any comedy that paired up her and... Bridget Lundy Payne because the two of them have just such great comedic chemistry together. She's she's really fantastic in this, just in this first scene. You know, like you said, she's acting with herself until you know the others show up and it's right. Until like, Alex comes in and sucks all charisma from the room. <laughs> yeah, you really like you get the real sense of nerves from her and everything, and then like Alex shows up. And my first thought was like, that's bad luck. You're not supposed to just like walk in here when you're sitting on a wedding dress. Like, what? like this family is so into tradition. Where the hell did this come from? Yeah. Fair point. I was also expecting like, at least an acknowledgement of that. Yeah. Nobody says anything about it. Yeah, that's the real flaw of this movie is that nobody says anything about that. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> Nobody's like, that's bad luck. Because there's nobody ever lets that go. Alex is there to apparently talk Grace out of marrying him. You know, she's very nervous about all of her family not liking him. Yeah, which is half-hearted and half-assed and Uh self-serving. But still the best thing Alex says in the whole movie. (laughs) Again, bar floor. Yeah, and then Daniel, when he shows up, gives a much more uh, believable, (laughs) you should never be part of this horrible family talk. I I assume this is why she thought he was hitting on her, because he was saying, like, don't marry my brother. But also it was just like, no, don't marry any of us. Go away far, far away. Yourself. Yeah, not become one of us. Honestly, I, the only word for his character is just Byronic. Through like mm-hmm. he takes off every checkbox. He really yeah. does. Very effective too. So Stevens uh, shows up. He's the butler. Shows up to to take them down to get pictures. They're doing the wedding pictures before the wedding. This is where we meet the dad, Tony, played by Henry Searney, who I immediately recognized as Alexis's old boyfriend, Artie from Schitt's Creek. That's why I recognized him. That was bothering me so much. He made a he made an impression. 
<laughs> I know, but like I just binged Shit's Creek, so I watched that episode like last week. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I knew I recognized him. Fuck, that was bothering me so much. <laughs> He's in, a, he's in a lot of stuff. Speaking of in a lot of stuff, we also meet Andy McDowell, who is playing uh, the mom, Becky. Just fantastic. This woman is flawless. I mean, not personality-wise, just <laughs> aesthetic-wise. She's amazing in this movie with her high ponytail. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's some weird combination of, like, Morticia Adams and Moira Rose. <laughs> like she's somewhere in there. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Right? She definitely has a Morticia Adams vibe to her. That's probably why it was easy to like her as if, well. If Morticia was from the South? Yeah, yeah. Her, her little Southern accent that would slip in once in a while was so cute. Oh. It was the worst Southern accent, though. It like, was. Like, I mean, you're not... Again, Becky McDowell is from Gaffney, South Carolina. <laughs> she should have a real Southern accent. <laughs> it's yeah, been gone too long. Like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> like, you are actually from the South, Andy <laughs> McDowell. What is this cartoonish <laughs> ass shit? <laughs> it was very affecting. Like, be more Southern? She's like, more Southern? He's like, more Southern? <laughs> <laughs> that, but more. <laughs> It's like if I'm doing a super over-the-top New York accent, like, my regular voice will be fine. I'm pretty sure people can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not subtle where I'm from. Yeah, she and she does a, she's really likable just because she's the one that's nice to Grace yeah. and is happy that Grace is here and joining the family. Uh, and puts a little bit of a, like, doesn't feel super great, but in a normal family way pressure on her to like pull you know her son back into the family um and she promises to do it which is a wild thing to happen <laughs> like, yeah that's <laughs> i'm gonna say that's honestly as much as i love uh, grace in this movie uh that's a bit of a red flag on her part maybe she was just like saying whatever the mom wanted to hear which i could understand she really to wanted be fair, to that's her. the uh, that's how i got through all of childhood oh. I, mean, I, like, I took it being as grace was like I mean, obviously Grace is smoking, so we know she's from the wrong side of the tracks, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, I took it as her being like, because isn't there, like, doesn't he mention, like, she's, like, an orphan or some shit? Yeah, like, yeah they make yeah. a point of saying that Grace is, is an orphan and grew up in foster homes. I mean, Yeah, and so she's just, like, wants, like, it's, like, I think, like, that scene with her and Andy McDonald is so good because it really establishes, like, she wants to be part of this family, right? Yeah. She's not just, like, she's not just going through the motions, like, like most people would, with, like, okay, yeah, your, your family's crazy, but I'm gonna deal with it. Like, she actually wants to, seems like she wants to be there. Yeah, absolutely. That is the, the tragedy, or one of the tragedies of Grace's character is just that they make it very clear, and you can really feel it from her. It's like, she wants more than anything else to be a part of a family, and like there's not even a found family kind of dynamic yeah. going on where it's yeah. like oh your husband's family end up being assholes but you found your real family along the way it's like yeah. no like she wants to be part of a family she does not get it in any yeah. way shape, or form yeah and then the for as happy as the mom is to have her there the dad is is kind of shitty about it but quietly to himself Charity, who's Daniel's wife, on the other hand, played by Elise Levesque. I spent the entire movie thinking it was Olivia Wilde. (laughs) I mean, she has an Olivia Wilde look. They gave her the severe haircut of a villain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what threw me off because it's Olivia Wilde's haircut in Trump's legacy. (laughs) So that also threw me off. But it's absolute. That's the haircut you give someone when you want to signal to everyone that you cannot trust this person. Yeah, it's the femme fatale. Yeah. It is, yeah. 
I was going to say, yes, yeah, specifically, it's a sexy villain haircut. That is, <laughs> that haircut screams, I'm going to deliver the gossip that's going to like lead to somebody getting killed in a great Gatsby novel. <laughs> Like I'm gonna whisper, I'm gonna whisper the the words into the ear that causes the domino effect that ends with someone like shot in a pool. Yeah, that that is the haircut of someone who is already poisoning their husband to steal the fortune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily for her, she doesn't need to. He's doing a perfectly good job of killing himself. Uh, we also meet uh, Aunt Helen, who is um, really severe. Uh, so scary. He is straight up like I. I I compared Andy McDowell to to somebody from the Adams family. Aunt Helen looks like she has stumbled right out of an Adams family movie now, into this movie. What do you guys think? My take on Aunt Helen was evil wine aunt. <laughs> evil, like this evil is the Napa this is the cool this yeah. is the cool wine aunt. This is like the upside down. This is like <laughs> the this is the Earth three wine aunt. My take on her is that she is one of the people that the kids from Series of Unfortunate Events would meet. Like that. Oh my God, she is. She <laughs> is a Series of Unfortunate Events character. Somehow, somehow she is Count Olaf. <laughs> yeah, I I seriously believe that this actress brought this axe to set with her. <laughs> it feels like it's part of the outfit. Like they're like, we don't even. That, is that real? <laughs> is so fucking extra. And savage, especially towards like her niece. Oh yeah, that's that's one of my favorite lines coming up there. We the other people we meet very briefly in this is we get a shot of the help. We'll later learn are named Clara, Tina, and Dora. Just and they are dancers. Not matter. Um, Not maids. It turns out they might as well be wearing red shirts. Yeah, and these are these are also the only. Uh, one, maybe two people of color in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not going to go well for him. This movie oh. is as white as the dress Samara wears. <laughs> At the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And the dress yeah. ends up less white than this movie. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> I really enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. It is so much fun. Mm-hmm. There are no, every, it is 100% white. It is white and it is straight. That's, yeah. yeah. It is so straight that literally everybody is married in this movie. <laughs> like literally every adult character is married um, really to a person point. of the of the opposite sex. Yes, like even we, though my uh, ongoing theory that Adam Brody is bisexual and everything, and I maintain it. I mean, <laughs> the closest we get is like Adam Brody doing the best he can to like Chris Evans in a sweater, where it's like, hey, this is a treat for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and clearly there's there's nothing happening in this uh, marriage of his, so, you know, maybe. Yeah, see, okay, see? I'm convinced he married this woman hoping she would take the, like, the hide-and-seek card. <laughs> hoping she would die. <laughs> he married her as, an, as a murder attempt that just didn't work out. She also delivers a line about, like, why she's fine with being part of this family and partaking in all this stuff later. It's never elaborated on, but uh-huh. she's like, you know where I came from. I would rather die than go back to that. And <laughs> they know, never like, say any more about right. it. She's like, I have a tragic backstory. Again, me still thinking this is Olivia Wilde wrote like, the grid? Are you from a computer? <laughs> but none of these jokes work because it wasn't Olivia Wilde. <laughs> I used to work for Jeffrey House, okay? I, yeah. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry, Elise. I, I feel like a jerk. 
<laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, which you might be, I'm learning my lesson after Anna and the Apocalypse. You're learning your lesson. I was the one that stepped so hard for the actress in that movie. <laughs> Basically, they, they finish taking pictures. There's a lot of like, people keep using the phrase one of us, which is a real like loaded horror movie theme. <laughs> There when they're this talking about not interested in being subtle. It does not care if subtle is a thing yeah. that exists. Yeah, they keep questioning whether or not she is uh, one of us. Even yeah. say at one point that your blood is not blue enough. Whew. Yeah, yeah. Andy McDowell says that. She says that was that was true of her too. That's like oh, their their thing is like she's like yeah I used to be not good enough for this family too. You're gonna be fine. I'll yeah. give this movie credit again in terms of not subtlety some pretty great imagery that i look mm. for symbolism was especially extending the metaphor of the smoking cigarettes was mm. andy mcdowell's like gold covered like cigarette case yeah. the beautiful rich like covering up this symbol of wrong side of the tracksness that's a really good point and i thought that was just such a beautiful like a great encapsulation of the character that Andy McDowell is playing, like in how she sees herself and in this family. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting tie between the two of them that they're the ones that, you know, that both smoke and feel like they don't belong. But it's Andy McDowell like... smokes cigarettes out of a cigarette case. Well, it feels like you have, Oh, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, I was just going to say that also like makes me more confused about the daughter-in-law's story. If she is not from the wrong side of the tracks, what is her deal with it? <laughs> Cleveland. I'm telling you it's Cleveland. That's the answer. <laughs> I, before Cleveland. she got married, her last name was Trump. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the family would be fine with that. I mean, I, it, I think uh, I, she did actually, feel like Charity, Adam Brody's wife, did have this like trying to deny or just move past through to not um, through refusing to acknowledge her past mm. versus Andy McDowell's Becky character who just seemed very at peace with where she came from and where she was. Like she didn't seem bothered by where mm. she came from the way uh, Charity did. That yeah. makes sense. I do love that her name was Charity. That that always cracks me up because those characters are never good people. <laughs> yeah, and Grace and Charity in this movie. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> so yeah, from, from there, like literally the moment that they visually introduce the wedding, the wedding is over. They go through all the pictures, but then the wedding is like that. Also, why was she taking a picture alone with Adam Brody? I was very confused. <laughs> I was like, what is this picture of the bride and the brother? <laughs> Because they I mean, he's knew the best that man, his, I assume. They yeah. knew that they want that we the fans were gonna want a picture of like them together. <laughs> but the, does the bride usually take a picture with the best man? That's weird, right? They do when the bride is clearly supposed to be with the best man and more the, than the photographer was even like, no, but really, you two are the ones getting married, right? That was just like, <laughs> look, is it not customary for the two hottest people at a wedding to take photos together? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so suddenly we're back in the house uh we're back in alex's room where alex and grace are smooching they're you know she's trying to get in his pants well he's like ah oh, there's something i need to tell you that i'm very carefully not telling you very specifically and they are quickly interrupted by by aunt helen who appears from a secret doorway to just stand and stare at them um, she has boundary issues he said yeah. 
yeah. And she, she is there to tell them that everybody is waiting for them, uh, which finally Alex tells Grace is because when you marry into this family at midnight after the wedding, uh, on your wedding night, you have to play a game. Um, so they're going to go down. He will meet her in the music room, which she says is definitely something normal houses have. Um, <laughs> And so they uh, they head down there. We also see their their game room, which they have a big like crest with the name of the family on the game room. The Ladomas. And a bear, family. a bear eating a deer. Just to throw it out there. <laughs> so apparently, <laughs> apparently all of their uh, all of their mounted stuff they like all rented out from the same place, and apparently that came like that from wherever oh, it came. That's so much that's work. That's great. <laughs> they're like we just have a bear eating a deer do you want that <laughs> yeah, i was i was looking someone, at trivia for this thing someone in hoping that somebody would tell me the story of that thing and they were like it was just like that i mean that's i feel like someone casting was like well is it gonna cost extra for the bear to be eating the deer <laughs> no same price uh, yeah yeah i'll take, I'll take the bear yeah fuck it yeah <laughs> i i would tell that i'm like Oh, is that because it's hunting game? Is <laughs> games game? Oh, okay. Oh, that's amazing. My favorite trivia of any movie is just we found it that way. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie trivia is Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo spent every like in between takes on Super Mario Brothers just doing shots. <laughs> well, you shows. have to be drunk to be in that movie so that's it makes fair. sense it's i so need like a disaster artist style retelling of <laughs> how the super mario brothers got made of like the director's not speaking english the oh, multiple amazing. crafts hoskins and leguizamo just getting sloshed giving <laughs> no fucks amazing uh, what's also amazing is this is the scene where we intro- we're introduced to my favorite and least favorite character, which are uh, Emily, who's the younger sister of the family. I guess the only sister, but she's the, the youngest of the group, uh, mm. who's played by Melanie Scarfano. And her husband, Fitch, played by Christian <laughs> Brune, who is the goddamn worst. <laughs> Not Christian Brune, I'm sure he's fine, but Fitch is terrible. I hate this dude. Is from he go. or is he the best? I actually like I him too. Yeah, I'm on I your found, side. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm team pro. I'm, on, I'm kind of in the Finch fan camp. Yeah. <laughs> See, I love Emily, despite the fact that, like, Emily's whole thing is being a mess and accidentally killing people. Um, <laughs> like, both of these were great. Like, I want to see more of them just being, like, a coke fiend. And uh, just, like, I, love, I love that she seems over the top, and then they slowly reveal that she is taking every drug. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Literally, the, she's introducing herself to Grace. Grace says to like uh, silently suggest that she wipe her nose because yeah. I've already <laughs> got Fitch got it. In one scene, Emily is worked up, and Fitch goes, "Let me go get you one of your edibles." <laughs> like, yeah, even you out. you out. The moment that made me absolutely love Fitch is when he's on his phone googling deals with the devil, real <laughs> or bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the moment that I love him, I think, is when he's like one of the three uh, red shirts gets killed, and he's like, "Oh, she was my favorite." Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that too. He also googles. He also googles how to use a crossbow, and, like, yes. what? and he's watching a YouTube video of two like rednecks trying to explain a crossbow. Yes. So apparently, those rednecks are actually like one of the writers and one of the directors. Oh, that's so great! Yeah. I, I appreciated Fitch because, like, 
Charity was all in on this whole deal with the devil thing. Yeah. And I could really imagine Fitch as being, it's like, man, this shit's all weird. I don't know. I just played Connect Four in my <laughs> wedding. Like, I didn't think this shit was for real. He, what the he fuck? He played Old Maid. He specifically told that he right. played Old Maid. Old Maid. Yeah. Like, what so is I, Old Maid? <laughs> I, liked I liked Fitch as being the, like, what the fuck? This is, like, we're actually doing this? Like, I, I also like the, the moment when he leans over to Charity and he's like, when do we cut and run? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe you have to look at you have to look at Fitch as like who he was when he mar got married, and yeah. I'm just imagining like some like frat bro, bro, like <laughs> marrying a sorority girl, right? Yes. And like, like, now here they are like twenty or ten years later with their kids who are awful, and yes. just, like, just I mean, also messy. He's yeah. a terrible. It's not like I like him as a person. Like I love him the way I love like the family members in Get Out. <laughs> yeah. Like they're like. It's not that it's he's a good person, it's just bad. that he's so entertaining. He's just so entertaining. Yeah. He also is the one that, you know, like when they do the ceremony later, he is kind of concerned how into it his kids are. So he's like, he's got some redeeming qualities, not a lot of them. Yeah. He has a few. Yeah. He's but the, the thing that like, gets me about him is the first thing we learn about him is that they are late and have missed his brother-in-law's <laughs> wedding because they couldn't get their usual charter flight out and they just can't fly commercial anymore. And she goes, you know what I mean to somebody who doesn't have money? Yes, yeah. but that's what's so great. <laughs> like, okay, I'll tell I you I literally just want to see them be mad about not getting a table at a restaurant. Like, oh, it's a great line. Like, she's she's Cardi like B there's... asking if she should buy the $20,000 purse on Twitter right now. Yes. <laughs> it's like an Ugg boot. Like, why would you... <laughs> Here's the thing, though. What are the odds that Emily being snooty and being like, oh, we can't fly commercial is really just cover for that she's on the no-fly list because she did <laughs> drugs in like an air, she right. did a bunch of drugs in an airplane bathroom. She, yeah, she's had some interactions with the drug dogs at the like, airport. Emily, it is not that Emily, like, em, it's not that Emily uh, can't fly commercial. No, Emily cannot fly commercial. <laughs> <laughs> After but that also, one time she, she bit a flight attendant, you know? She, Emily cannot get through FAA security. <laughs> Also, I like Emily as well because I love the part where she's like talking herself up, like she's giving herself yeah. a pep talk. Emily yeah. is so desperate to kill Grace so that she can impress her parents, like yeah, especially she, her yeah. dad. I'm not gonna mess it up this time. <laughs> she's so determined that she's going to like get through this. Like, do Emily, a good job at murder. Like yeah. Emily and Fitch are what make this movie so decisively spoopy. Yes, they're hilarious. Yeah, we like, also, as you mentioned, meet their kids, Georgie and Gabe, uh, who suck. Uh, <laughs> oh, they, they really suck. Gabe well, is fine, Georgie like sucks. Kids. There's scary a, kids are like, yeah, scary scene. kids are the scariest thing that exists. Yeah. yeah, there's a scene later on where Emily and and Daniel are discussing <laughs> whether the whole family does deserve to die. And Emily goes like, my son doesn't deserve to die. And I have in my notes, the fuck he doesn't. <laughs> absolutely deserves to you die. You know, you say that, but obviously Daniel agrees. Because he also fucks those kids over. So he's like, nah, your kids are rough, man. Yeah, like, I, it's like, I get what you're going for. Like, the children are innocent, but no, yours actually aren't. It's like, that this shit the, has sailed, friends. Like, this is the only movie I've ever rooted when a woman punched a child. <laughs> this, the first impression this podcast of these kids. is not generally pro punching kids in the face let's be clear 
Yeah. yeah. The first impression we get of these kids is them triggering poor Daniel by wearing these masks that you know they were wearing during the the first time he was part of this whole thing. Oh. Uh, freaking out about it, and then Fitch being like, "Don't listen to him." Whatever. This is also the scene with my my favorite line where Emily comes in and greets her aunt Helen, and Helen says, "Brown haired niece <laughs> to exist." <laughs> Also, oh, there's one niece. Yeah, she has not learned her name. <laughs> yeah, it's like brown hair niece, as if she needs to distinguish her from any other niece. There's she, just the one. She knows exactly who she is. She is Ron Swansoning her. I, I purposely get her name wrong so she knows where she stands. This is yeah. like when Batman acts like he doesn't know your name, as if he doesn't have a giant <laughs> fucking file on you. He just wants Batman just wants you to know that he's choosing not to know your name. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is where they all at this point everybody's there. They gather around the table, and uh, we get our, our little monologue from the dad here, who tells us the story of his uh, great great grandfather Victor Ladomas, who was a, a merchant who met Mister Labelle as they were sailing, <laughs> and Mister Labelle gave him a, a little box that was a puzzle and said that if he could figure it out by the time they they landed, that uh, he would give him whatever whatever money he asked for, which uh, you know he did. Mr. LaBelle uh, granted him this this money, which he used to, to found a gaming empire, but it comes with certain restrictions. Among those, they don't really mention the slaughtering goats here, but that comes up later. Apparently, yeah. there's some goat slaughter involved. But more specifically, that anytime goats. anybody joins the family, they have to take a, a card from this puzzle box and a name of a game will be written on there, which they have to play in order to officially join the family. I want to know the supernatural quality of this box. Does it keep adding games as games are created, or is old made older than I think it is? I mean, <laughs> based off the way the rest of it worked, where it's like you can only use like the weapons from it, it seemed to be that it was only limited to games that existed back when the deal was made. I, I would just love <laughs> if think... Dance Dance Revolution is in there. <laughs> like... yeah, I was going to say, you don't think there's one where somebody's like, shit, yeah, Halo. Uh, yeah, like, assumedly the devil is going around still making the same deals, but now it's been, like, updated, and it's, like, a haunted Xbox, and, you, and it's like, oh, shit, we have to play, like, we got the Call of Duty zombie mode, which makes zombies really show up. Oh, <laughs> well, we have to beat Mario Kart. We'll never win. <laughs> Oh my god, a horror movie just about the blue shell. Just yeah, I was gonna say nothing but spike shells. <laughs> oh, amazing. Even though Mario gave us the original weeping angels. They all have to get in actual tiny Mario carts and you know try and murder her in the, <laughs> the shells. Shit, why am I driving on a rainbow bridge? This is terrible. So did anybody <laughs> else get that this was a, a deal with the devil when they when they were talking about this? Because I was like, who was this crazy guy on a ship like <laughs> giving away boxes and shit? And I was like, is this like for like I had to pause the movie and Google it because I was like, is this white people stuff that I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. black people, a ship shows up and we're like, we're good. Uh, but like, white people are like, this man gave me a box and now I'm a millionaire. <laughs> That's how it happens every look, time. To be fair, white people are just used to being given lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> is that how, is that that, how it works? That is how Jeff Bezos got all of his money yeah, originally. Would you like this box? He's like, sure. No, like America's just like, hey, white people, you, you <laughs> went overseas for like, you follow, here's just houses and education, but only for you white people. You just get it now. Here's your money. Don't th worry about the deal with the devil that you have to make. <laughs> Don't worry about it at all. Um, I did 
I, it's only now when I'm looking at the Wikipedia article that I see like, oh, they took like Belial and like New yeah. Orleansified it. He just yeah. yeah, he made his name slightly disguised. Yeah, I assumed it was like, <laughs> oh, okay, just you know, immortal sorcerer man, like. Sure. He, uh, he, briefly, he thought about going with Satan, but no. <laughs> Mr. Satan. <laughs> you see, there's an accent mark over the A. I'm not the devil. I'm not. He's not yeah. referring to me as such. I assumed it was whatever dark forces also allowed you to make like evil, toxic frat armies <laughs> <laughs> through magical sculptures. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The only I think the reason I knew off the bat is because of the opening scene, uh, like the very opening, they're scanning over a bunch of like gaming uh, boxes and boards, and there's several of them called Labelle's Gambit, which is yes. a picture of a man with devil horns on it. I I wrote down the names of all of these because every single game that they had was should have been a red flag. It was yeah. Family Ritual, Secret Oof. Council, Sunrise, and Labelle's Gambit. I you also, haven't played Family Ritual before? It's a great <laughs> game. What are you talking about? I we, also, play, we play it every night. We've lost a lot of ghosts that way. <laughs> We've lost uh, some. I also, like, I didn't catch it, but that kind of aided it. I, to me, I think that helped me because I very much, right, really up until those last moments, I didn't know if, like, this whole thing was bullshit or not. I was just you thinking, were right like, there you know, with Fitch. You were Googling <laughs> if it was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, how horrific, like, like, how horrific a moment would that be? For the family to realize that, like, they've done all these terrible things for yeah. nothing. Like, that's just gonna fucking, like, Helene's either gonna go full fanatic or just, like, go catatonic. I mean, we find out which one it is at the yeah, end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did, like, just the fact that I'm, like, the, the narrative potential for that is still good enough that I can't mm-hmm. discount it from maybe being that. Yeah, no, I think even the first time I watched it, even with the LaBelle stuff, I was like, this could not be real, right? Like, they they could just have, at this point, rationalized it so much that they think it's real. And we don't see anything supernatural until the very end. Yeah, the, the most supernatural thing we see here is the puzzle box, which she, he puts a blank card into and, uh, you know, hands to Grace to, to pull it out. She, you know, lets the opens the puzzle box and it pulls out, shoots out the card and it says hide and seek, uh, which she still does not know that this is weird, even though Alex is giving off big, I'm about to be a widower vibes. Um, <laughs> was he, or was it his just normal face that he had through the rest I, of the like, It's very difficult to tell. the same face. He had the slightest like twitch of an eye and that was his whole <laughs> emotional reaction. It was an eyebrow raised. <laughs> No, Obviously, no, no. He back. put his hands on his head a lot. There's oh, a lot that's of him right. putting right his hands that. on his head. He yes. was very close to splashing water on his face in a mirror. <laughs> he was <Yeah>. right there. <laughs> Only there weren't so many freaking mirrors in this house. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, why are they so, all the ceiling? Oh, no. <laughs> dad's like, we're going to put on this creepy record and you go hide and then we'll find you and doesn't tell her that they're about to try and murder her, which seems unfair in like stakes of this game it um, is but if i was trying to murder someone and i had the <laughs> option of them not knowing i was trying to murder them i would definitely like take advantage of that 
I feel like there should be an instruction manual involved in any game you have to play as part of this ritual, you know, just like, I mean, the slightest, I mean, at the slightest instance of anything going even slightly wrong, they're like, well, fuck all the rules. Let's turn on our high tech security cameras and start gunning people down. Cars. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. We're so arbitrary. That was one of the things I found very bothersome because yeah. was like, I get the, you know, storytelling narrative tension and all that, but like, it could have been so much like campier, I suppose, mm. if if we hadn't had like that, you know, kind of like bullshit, like first into the second act where, you know, we're like, no, it's a crossbow and a tiny pistol. Like, like, <laughs> like that pistol was okay, but a big gun was not like yeah. I, yeah. a shotgun. Like, I mean, like. I guess those are those are great grandfather's original weapons, which is why it matters, I guess. The way I took that was kind of in the way that like, you know, this is a cult, right? So it's kind of a religion to them in the way that a lot of religious people do. I feel like they've added stuff that wasn't originally part of the deal. And they don't necessarily know which parts they've added and which parts they haven't, which I think was what the aunt was saying. She was like, you know, if we don't do this right, everything falls apart. And the dad's like, I don't know, we could probably lose this tradition and that one. At least that's how I took it was like maybe they've just started like compounding at some point more and more stuff on top. I mean, of it. we get in the movie that like in the 80s, they're like, what if we all wear creepy masks? Because it's the 80s and we're on cocaine. And Emily's like, I'm still on cocaine. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they start passing out crazy weapons. The aunt gets the axe, which clearly came with her costume. Like she definitely brought that. Fitch gets the crossbow, uh, which he's clearly yeah. ill equipped to use. Andy McDowell gets a, a, a sporty bow and arrow, which uh, I feel like Andy McDowell specifically requested that or something. She, she looked so hot with yeah, that she's bow like, and I want to be the badass with the bow and arrow. I needed, I'm so disappointed we didn't get Andy McDowell bow in hand atop a horse, like <laughs> hair waving in the wind. You know, she asked for it. She was like, can we just, I mean, we could just have one horse, right? We do have a barn. Could I write a goat? Um. She was just so fantastic. And, and as is my mandate to bring up Riverdale every time I'm on the show, she ha- gave me major Cheryl Blossom with the bow and arrow vibes. Like, and it was just so perfect. I loved it so much. Also, I, I enjoyed looking at some of the like trivia and behind the scenes stuff that apparently Andy McDowell was super excited to be in a horror movie because she's Aww. never done that. And she was yeah. just like, I'm in a horror. Um, <laughs> very you can excited. Tell she's this. having fun. She just seems to like be she's the just, most in it. And I love she's it. She's so excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody else arms themselves. Uh, they suggest Alex stay in there and they leave Charity to guard the door and make sure he stays there. Um, From the outside, knowing yeah. that there are secret doors. Why? Yeah, I mean, and she will shortly go in to check on Alex and discover that he has left through the secret door. Um, Grace I do goes, love that she's putting so, on her lipstick, though, because you've got to look good when you're about to murder your sister-in-law. Yeah, Grace makes a pretty solid first choice for hiding, which is to climb into the dumbwaiter and hide, um, mm-hmm. which is like a, a good out-of-the-way place, but like definitely the first place that if I were like, oh, this person is trying to hide somewhere, they definitely went in the dumbwaiter. Um, also, for the, the also, I mean, she doesn't know it's not normal hide and seek, but not a place with much of an escape route if you get caught. Right, yeah, and it is made clear to her that uh, 
this this hide and seek uh, will not be over until dawn or until but she gets caught. The way that the dad presents this to her, she's like, "There's there's no way for me to win," and he's like, "Oh, well, you could stay hidden," and she's like, "Oh, that's funny." So he's like leading her on to reveal herself. Yeah, you could stay held, hidden until dawn. That'll be great. Wouldn't you love that? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and she almost immediately gets bored and decides to wander out of the dumb waiter. You know, still trying to stay hidden. Yeah, and uh, we we also discover that Clara, who has been given the job of watching the kids during this time, has nodded off reading to Georgie and mm -hmm. Gabe, and that Georgie, the older of the two boys, has uh, wandered off and disappeared. Um, so we now have Chekhov's tiny, tiny evil boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the worst Chekhov item of all. Yes, check out Also, the worst, the worst kind of tiny evil boy. The Chekhov's <laughs> tiny evil boy. Yeah, it's the worst Chekhov and the worst tiny evil boy. Also, Georgie, you suck. <laughs> Clara Why goes off looking for Georgie. Georgie. Clara goes off looking for Georgie and uh, almost accidentally finds Grace, who gets uh, pulled into a bedroom by Alex who has you know, made his way through the hidden tunnels to get to there. And <laughs> Clara is looking around the room for them, and uh, or for Georgie, doesn't find Georgie, so decides to walk out the door and uh, immediately gets shot in the head by, by a coked-up Emily. Um, which is a, nice, is a nice little device, because Alex is trying to tell her what's going on, but seeing uh, Clara get shot and then like hearing the family have this conversation about how they're trying to find and kill Grace really like gets us over that whole long conversation about like, no, you're joking. They're not trying to do this. That's This is definitely like the plot relevant visual storytelling made deaf. And then yeah. it just becomes like jokes are rules of three. <laughs> Murders come in threes. <laughs> Like yeah. everything else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point. Like, it, I feel like it would have stood out more as convenient if they didn't just like lean in and keep doing it. It's like, and by the third one, it's like the moment you see it, it's like, oh boy, here we go again. Like, yeah. I do appreciate in this scene that uh, to decide like who gets to, who has to carry what side of the dead person, they flip a coin. So, like, this. This family's gotten really into the games thing. Like he's Two-Face or something. What is going on here? There's a line the dad says where he says, like, they own four professional sports teams. I want to know which teams. <laughs> I mean, one of them is definitely the Washington football team, right? Yeah, I, right. I was going to say. 100%. And they were very against the name change. Yeah, clearly. You can tell because that, I mean, that, the names reveal themselves. I mean, <laughs> you can tell because the whole the name change they've already done is the most passive aggressive fucking move. Like, you don't like my racial slur of a team name? Fine. No team name. Right. It is this family. Our team name is football team because. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> My team is the fuck yous. How do you like that? Jeremy, uh, I am going to call them the Washington fuck yous from now on. <laughs> it's just, just on the front of the jerseys, it says fuck you. And on the back, it says that's why. Yeah. Call them the red tails, you fucking asshole, Dan Snyder. Alex pulls her off into the uh, servants' uh, passageways and the hidden passageways and explains that they have to kill her before sunrise or they think that the devil's going to kill them all. Um, he he gets her some uh, some comfortable shoes to change into, which I appreciate. I appreciate that she's not supposedly doing this whole thing in her wedding heels. 
That uh, is actually the only good thing. The only truly good thing Alex does is get her good shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're quality Chucks. <laughs> yeah. Which apparently Chucks don't come in that color anymore. So they had to paint them for the movie. And this is where we have the conversation where I turned on Alex. They have the whole like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Uh, you know, oh, you really wanted to get married. Oh, mm-hmm. like, you know, he makes it clear that if the people have tried getting married and you know, eloping or going other places and that they wind up waking up, you know, dead the next morning. Um, so they have to have it with the family and they have to do this ritual or they die anyway. So, you know, they, they sort of close the door on all the like whys and wherefores of this stuff, except for like, she's like, oh, well, you should have told me. And he says, if I had told you, you would have left. Yeah. That's the moment where he's no longer, I was no longer pulled yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's right. <laughs> and and, look, and as she should have. Like. There's the implication there also that like again there's a few lines earlier where it definitely seems like Grace was pushing him like towards marriage. Um, and there's also like the implication that like she would have left if uh, if he didn't propose. But it also just reflects his total like possessiveness and his dependent morality, in that he was willing to risk her life. Mm-hmm. then risk, risk that she might leave him yeah not being with him yeah right and this is where i reveal option number three that he could have done which is hey grace i don't believe in marriage so if you want to be with me we can't get married yeah he would puts, she really would she really have said no to that because that right. doesn't seem like her like, every time he puts his comfort over her safety whenever the two mm-hmm. like and he, like, he will fight for grace only when it doesn't interfere with his comfort. Right. And only like a little. Like, yeah. like, let's be clear, Daniel fights way the hell harder for grace in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I had in my notes at one point, like, and when I kind of figured out, like, the Byronic hero, and then I like, and then like, he turns on her at one point, and I scratched out hero, and then he turns on them again, and then like, I write hero back in. <laughs> you're just like, you're doing white out over yeah. it, and you're like, hero. It's like, nope, got it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, his plan is that he's going to sneak up to the security room and turn off all the locks on the doors and turn off all the cameras. Well, the cameras are already supposed to be turned off at this point because I guess they didn't have those in his great-grandfather's time, so they think they probably shouldn't use them here. And I think they use, they think they shouldn't use them here because they've never had an issue with finding and killing people in their own house. Um, it only happened one time in any of their memories so yeah. I, I don't think they have like a great like how do we do this plan out yeah he's gonna go shut off the the door lock so she can get out and she's just supposed to run away uh she puts on her chucks and rips off the bottom of her dress yes. and uh, immediately forgets the directions that alex gave her about how to get to the servant's kitchen <laughs> um, no, I don't think she did though. He didn't say right or left. I, I was looking for that this time, watching it a second time. He just said, "Go down the hall, go into the kitchen." Because, and I was like, "Wait, there were two doors, and he never told her which door to take." I do remember him saying, "Go through the door." I don't remember if he gave a specific no. direction on the door, but yeah, she she gets to the end of the hallway, <laughs> sees multiple doors, and goes, "Fuck!" Um, yeah. It's great because we then flash to the uh, rest of the family, and they're. <laughs> They're busy taking their, uh, you know, dead servant out and uh, arguing over where she is, um, at which point she walks out the hidden door right into the middle of their conversation. <laughs> this movie 
does a really interesting balancing act of like, I, I was on the edge of my seat for that moment and I still laughed. And I feel like most movies can't get that balance right. Yeah, it's a very hard thing to do. <laughs> You're like, you know, it, it's easy to do when it's something unfortunate happening happening to like one of the villains, but mm. it's a hard thing to pull off with the hero where you're just like, ah, it's just a hard luck moment, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a very Peter Parker moment. <laughs> <laughs> and she she runs away from them fairly easily and, and, you know, hides in one of the other rooms where she is immediately found by Daniel, uh, who isn't looking for her. He's just there for the scotch. <laughs> He says he's just getting a drink. He's going to have to tell them where she is, but he's going to give her a head start. And she's, you know, pleading with him not to and saying he didn't really have an option on this. This scene is really where he becomes such a delightful wild card throughout the movie. He really is. Because he doesn't actually tell them where she is. He tells them where she was. So he's like, she is currently in the study, is what he yells, basically. And she is not. She's long gone. So he actually leads them away from her. While yeah, still claiming and, not to. He stops and waits and drinks for a little bit. Um, yeah. And, uh, Two and a half, one thousand. Yeah, he really did. He was like, I'm playing along, but only in the barest way possible. Yeah. So Charity is the first one to get there. His, his wife, who is who derides him for being so useless. This is where we get her line about, uh, he's like, her not wanting to be part of this. It made me realize just how quick you were to accept all of this shit. And, I would uh, love to have a flashback to that moment where he's yeah. like, look, I want to marry you, but there's this deal. And she's like, done. And he's like, no, no, let me tell you what. No, she's like, fine, devil. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still imagining like that she was pulling out the card and he was just has eyes closed, like fingers crossed on the table, like hide and seek, hide and seek. Hide yeah, and he's see, like, there's a, there's like an 85% chance you'll live through it. She's like, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I've got to get away like, from my father, Donald and, Trump. You know. <laughs> and it puts and it puts you in a pact where you yourself might then have to murder at any time throughout. And your she's life. like, I've murdered twelve people to even meet you, so we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else finally shows up, including Emily, who has lost her gun. Uh, she doesn't know where it is. Um, Emily is so wonderfully useless, and I love it. <laughs> and she gets really sad and leans into her dad's arms, and she's like, Why am I so bad at this? Yeah, and Fitch, who has been sitting on the toilet all this time, trying to figure out how to use his crossbow from watching YouTube, is finally like, hey, you can have my crossbow. I'm not going to use this. Uh, hands it to Emily. And Emily immediately, and she immediately shoots the crossbow, <laughs> accidentally killing the second servant, Tina, who was just running in to tell them that where she had seen Grace. So for those of you keeping track with the plot so far, Emily, the coked out disaster daughter, has by far the highest body count. Yeah. Is she the best horror movie monster we've watched so far? Fuck the Babadook. It's all about Emily. I know the Babadook had a much lower death count. It's true. Babadook, Babadook didn't only kill any kill a cute dog. Yeah. Bobby no. killed one animal. She kills three humans. Emily's probably run over like at least three dogs with just with a lawnmower. <laughs> They've definitely had a pet accidentally get into her cocaine at some point. Like that's the kind, no. of, the kind of thing. Like Emily, the two of you are writing this like comedy backstory. Like Emily <laughs> keeps saying, like, why does this keep happening to me? And in the back of my head, I'm going like, oh, so you've definitely accidentally killed people in scenarios that had nothing to do with this deal with the devil. <laughs> That's a really good point, because she says that after the first one. (laughs) You are just a a messy drug addict, Emily, (laughs) with a body count. 
em Emily has a whole I know what you did last summer backstory that we don't get to see. <laughs> yeah, Emily is, is secretly the serious that. monster in this movie. This is where, like, after she accidentally kills the, the second employee, finally the mom is like, fuck this. Guys, go turn on the security cameras and let's kill her because I can't continue to lose servants at this rate. You know, this has been going on too long. So she sends da the dad and Daniel to go turn on the cameras. Alex is up there trying to, uh, I, don't, I don't know what he's doing. He's trying him. to unlock the doors. He really can't having a hard out. time turning on monitors. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he's running McAfee or what. Like he's just. <laughs> there were a lot of buttons. To be fair, it looked like a sound mixer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lurch can work it. He should be able to figure it out. Right? Like. <laughs> And speaking of Larch, uh, he is, as, as Grace is trying to exit the kitchen, the door is not yet open, uh, and Stevens comes into the, uh, the service kitchen, and uh, they, they play a, a smaller game of hide-and-seek around the island in the middle of the kitchen as Stevens is oh. prepping tea, and she is crouching down trying to load the shotgun that she has uh, stolen from you know, the other room. Um, yeah, by the way, that image of her in the wedding dress with the shotgun shells around her and the like chucks is one of the best aesthetics in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No surprise that's the cover, the uh, cover yeah, of the movie. No this was, at all. This was definitely like a horror moment because when she grabbed the gun and the bullets in the room where no one's around, I'm like, okay, check to see if it's loaded now. No. Maybe load it up. Yeah. She didn't check to see if it's loaded. She's trying to load it while there's somebody in the room yeah. with her. And then she tries, she does manage to load it without the guy noticing. But then when the, the door unlocks, he walks over to the door to see what's going on. And yeah. she decides that that's the moment that she actually has to go through him, points the gun at him, and uh, he kind of laughs at her. She tries yeah. to shoot him, and uh, it doesn't work. And he's like, yeah, that that ammunition is clearly for display. Yeah. It's not also, real bullets. Why those, would I leave real bullets sitting on the mantle? Those bullets what? are gigantic. So big. Why like, is he more invested in this than any member of the family? I have real questions. Like, does he get anything out of this family continuing to succeed? I mean, he's got a, he's got a real Downton aesthetic. Like, <laughs> he just has a lot of pride in his job. Honestly, <laughs> maybe it's just for the love of Satan. Like, yeah, I mean, if that, like, like, I rock with that fool. I'm so excited. <laughs> How good of a I, twist would it have been if he was, like, Mr. LaBelle at the end? <laughs> oh, that would have been. It was the butler all along. <laughs> the butler. That would have been cool. He's been through, like, ten jobs looking for a, <laughs> looking for a household that worships Satan, and finally he's landed his dream job. I'm still just thinking, if that gun had fired, I feel like it would have immediately dislocated Grace's shoulder. <laughs> right. Like, that looks like the it gun that, huge. like, fucking Teddy Roosevelt uses to hunt rhinos. Yeah, that's the one that he's on a safari with in the picture. Yeah. So, like, he's clearly shot large game animals with this thing. Right. Um, like, if Grace has shot no gun and she goes straight up to, like, the lion killers, oh my god, like... <laughs> I once fired like one of those kinds of guns. I legitimately had like a bruise for a week. <laughs> Stevens has a lot more than that because uh, he decides, you know, he, he takes on Gracie after, you know, knowing it's not going to be loaded. He grabs the end of the gun and hits her with it. At which point she grabs his kettle of hot water yes. and breaks that shit over his face. Oh, she out is the door. honestly the best final girl we have seen. She is amazing and so resourceful. Yeah, I was I was reading in the discussions with Samara Weaving and the 
the writers and directors that they were talking mm-hmm. about like their decision with her was that she always makes the obvious right decision she never does the stupid thing in this movie yes she's not that kind of no. bad final girl yeah he's uh you know the <laughs> she is us right she's the person who's watching it going no do this obviously that's the right thing so yeah i she, love that yeah she she makes all the right choices so she manages to hit him meanwhile alex is uh getting in a fight with uh dad and daniel alex doesn't know how to disconnect the computer uh he just decides to start smashing it with <laughs> uh you know smashing it with various objects uh they, oh. His Alex is the guy that calls, he, he's very much the guy that calls IT when the computer's not plugged in. That is Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the guy that, you know, is, is upset that his, that his cup holder broke off. <laughs> True stories. Um, he wrestles around with his dad. It finally ends up with him getting the advantage and he's choking his dad. And his brother is like, hey, man, I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> At which point he, he lets his dad go. He does not kill his dad turns around to talk to Daniel and dad sneaks up behind and knocks him out because dad has no such reservations. So based on what we know about Daniel, like rewatching this movie, I really don't think, I know he like plays along that he did that to distract him, but I really don't think he did. I think he yeah. was very much so on Alex's side and then immediately was like, nope, nope, that was on purpose. Totally, dad. Yeah, he's like, Alex, you really don't want to murder your dad. Like, yeah. I'm not going to be happy with the results of that. Bring Alex down and mm. handcuff him to a bed. You know, we find out that Alex is the only one to ever see Mr. LaBelle in his chair out of this right. living group, uh, which uh, I don't know how relevant does that, that is. Any, yeah, that, does that go it goes nowhere. <laughs> I remember thinking back, like, did I miss part of the flashback? Was that part of the flashback and I didn't see it? I don't know. Unless it's meant to, like... I think it's so, at the end when she sees him in the chair, you're like, oh, he's real. But at that point, I was over everyone's bullshit. And I didn't care. Grace is overhearing some of this. She jumps off the balcony from the next story up and uh, makes a run to the, the roughest part of this movie, the barn, oh. which, you know, she, she goes to hide oh, in the oh. barn. This is yeah. the straight up horror part of the movie. Like, this is scary. Well, as soon as she ran in and there was a bunch of goats, I was like, what the fuck? Like, goats <laughs> yeah. are- Goats are Nothing. creepy. You know, everyone loves goats. But they have those eyes that yeah. are like, not correct. And so, like... Nothing good has ever happened when a goat shows up in a horror movie. Nothing good has ever happened in a barn in a horror movie. That's, like, not... It's no. That's Horror Movie 101. You don't go into a cornfield and you don't go into a barn. Georgie shows up. And she trusts him like a fool. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, she's hey, Georgie, you're cool. You're right. You're right. The moral, never trust children. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Georgie, Georgie is apparently also uh, far more confident than his mom because he has found her gun and tries to shoot Grace, gets her hand as she has her hand up, blows oh, like a hole it, through her hand. In, in Georgie's defense, he is on considerably less cocaine than that was. <laughs> is that in Georgie's defense? <laughs> oh, I guess in defense of him being a better shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to I his credits, I will say this: uh, his mom is a great shot, just not shooting people she's supposed to be shooting. She's not shooting the right people. This is she true. does get two like two dead-on headshots. Emily is two shots, to be, two kills. She is supposed to be shooting in the core, so that the person lives, though. So the important point is she's getting headshots by accident. <laughs> Emily's ca- Emily's kill death ratio <laughs> through the roof. 
<laughs> and Emily is the person you're playing like a multiplayer with and she keeps shooting the own team. <laughs> uh, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's me too. <laughs> it's always like, oh, sorry. Here's yeah. the health pack. <laughs> Grace does an incredible an incredibly relatable thing here, which is she punches the little kid in the face. <laughs> well, there's that, well, there's that like weird, there's that one moment of like Austin Powers-esque black comedy where the maid that got the crossbow bolt through the mouth uh, isn't quite dead and keeps interrupting the family's talking with like her <laughs> That's so goals. funny. Oh, yeah. That's right. And then the aunt kills her with the axe. Did we mention that? That's No, we did it, no. but it's good. Daniel she punches him in the face and then falls right that's how yeah, she, ends up well, she punches him in the face and then uh like moves to check on him and one of the goats jumps out of the darkness oh, and scares right. her oh, and she yeah. falls backwards into this pit oh. full of bodies oh, um, gosh. A very shaky ladder but she tries to climb and then the ladder breaks just in time for her to get one hand on the edge of the chute puts the oh. other puts the already injured hand up to uh, grab the edge and puts it right onto an exposed nail and goes right <gasps> yeah through. like uh, there is a hole in her hand and she's now put the hole over the nail so as to support her weight on the her own like hand hole and there's like there's a moment right before she does it where she thinks about doing it and it's signaled enough that I I at least was like, oh no, oh no. That oh absolutely makes it such perfect horror. Oh gosh, like I'm physically cringing yeah. talking about it. It was like it reminded me of John McClane knowing he was going to have to like run across broken glass bear yeah. slide. And this is also, also the point where we meet the real star of this movie, which is her screams. Her screams are amazing. <laughs> has amazing like screams throughout this but for, like this like part in the the you know the later final scene. part Samara mm -hmm. weaving is a full-on 21st century scream queen yeah but her scream isn't that blood-curdling like traditional scream queen it is an angry pissed off pained scream that has this like up and down quality of like grating to it that is yes. so good oh, yes. Also, how infected is that hand wound? Oh gosh, it's so infected. <laughs> yeah. Like, I hope, yeah. I don't know what happens to her character after this, but I hope it involves all the antibiotics. I mean, that, I mean she survived something that the main character of Supernatural did, so I'm just saying. <laughs> so that was, that was for you and you alone, Justina. Uh, that's exactly as much as I know about the finale of Supernatural. So. Yeah. I heard about the finale of Supernatural, and it we sounds like a doozy. We all heard about it. <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. I'm um, so sorry for it, your pain. It sounds like they die and then do the ending of Fast and Furious 7? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's in heaven. I think, I think that is probably the worst series ending I've ever seen. And I say that as somebody who's watched like How I Met Your Mother and <laughs> yeah. like, a bunch of other shows. It, I mean, it was 15 years. So like you could have like just let them right off in the sunset. Right. Yeah, yeah. Afterlife thing is a bit much. Um, okay. But like, did anybody else have goat questions? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, so many questions. Please lay down the questions. Rituals, right. I had a lot of questions. First of all, how is the groom's body still in that pit after like right. 40 years? Like it was like the 80s. Like that right. body would be. And then also like, so Mr. LaBelle is like 
one body every 50 or so years, that's a pretty good deal with the devil. <laughs> like he's not, point. yeah, he's not asking for much. He's like. greedy. Like he's pretty like, like team. I mean, there's only like four dead goats in there. I had so many questions because I was like, is this like a once a quarter kind of thing? For the I'm really <laughs> not sure so how the goats factor into the whole thing. There's a lot this of dead goats. And they mentioned killing goats later. Yeah. Because like, he's a good say- point. We sacrifice a goat every month, and I was like, "Okay, but it's a goat." Like, yeah, but also, did yeah, you have to? Was this, <laughs> was this Labelle, or was this like your fucking ancestor in the nineteen twenties got like in with <laughs> Alistair Crowley and turned right. into goat sacrifice, right. and you just lo- started looping it in from that then on? Yeah. <laughs> Labelle is like, why? <laughs> Labelle's like, nobody asked for this. <laughs> This whole thing is like Easter. There's just like, and we hide eggs. We don't know why. And <laughs> <laughs> Aunt Ruth makes us do it. <laughs> but I do love, but I like the the idea that LaBelle is just sitting there being like, like in the 80s being like, okay, but why are you fucking wearing masks? I, I, I love Nobody the told idea you to do that. LaBelle is just in like a sitcom, like The Office, where he just keeps looking at the camera and he's like, I didn't tell them that. <laughs> I mean, that is... That is how I generally like to imagine the devil. It's just being like, eh, I had nothing to do with that. That's yeah. that's all you guys. What weird humans they are. Oh, no, because we skipped the whole dumbwaiter made death. So mm-hmm. The dad is saying she's taking us out one by one. And I'm like, she has taken out nobody. <laughs> Your own daughter took out two people and the other one was just fucking down below, like hit the wrong button. <laughs> yeah. Samara's body count is zero. It's true. Yeah, literally while she is trying to tell the rest of the family where Grace is, she accidentally hits the button and gets stuck in the dumbwaiter and crushes herself. Like the most she has done at this point is momentarily like... Knock out a child. In, yeah, momentarily. <laughs> she has punched out a child and momentarily inconvenienced your butler via boiling water. <laughs> I mean, that burn was a little bit more than a momentary inconvenience, but okay. He walks it off like a champ. Yeah. <laughs> As it turns out, it's only an inconvenience of a matter of hours because that's all he's got left. It's true. Yeah, so she she makes it out of the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charity sees her running from the barn, trying to get to the fence, <laughs> tries to shoot her from from the balcony where she's at, and it does so unsuccessfully. Um, harpoons, harpoon guns, well known for their three hundred foot range. <laughs> she then, you know, goes back and, and tells them tells everybody else that she saw them running out. Uh, they send uh, send Daniels uh, out to take care uh, of her, get her back. It's not in. like it gets anywhere close. Like, oh, she's running, and it gets like it hits the ground a few <laughs> steps behind. Yeah, Grace her. doesn't even notice. Not even close. <laughs> the the family discovering the hole in their plan to never think about this until it happens. This is this is the other really painful part coming mm-hmm. immediately after the first really painful part, which is where Grace tries to squeeze out the fence and uh, mm-hmm. manages to rip a good sized hole in her own back. Um, oh, that scene was oh, hard. Gosh. That was a hard one to watch. Yeah. And then immediately almost gets run over and ignored and has the great line of fucking rich people. I yeah, love she, that line. She she runs out <laughs> to the road, finally having escaped, and there's a guy driving down the road, and she's like, "Great, I'm saved." And starts yelling to the guy, runs out in the road, and the guy, like, <sighs> stops long enough to tell her, get out of the fucking road. Okay, <laughs> and I drives will say, past her. in this guy's defense, if a bloody woman in a wedding dress ran out on you at the, in the middle of the road, would you not immediately assume ghost and keep going? 
I mean, this sounds, I mean, it definitely sounds like a horror movie that I would then be the protagonist of and she, she yeah. the killer ghost that monster like of. A right, 100%. He but still heard. He's like, nope, I did not sign up for whatever this at is. At the same time, I feel like if you don't help her, I'm pretty sure that's how Beast got turned into a beast. Beast the beast. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no like a situation. 50-50 chance that if you help her, she'll murder you. And if you don't help her, you're cursed. Look, look, the Disney movies are nothing but mixed messages when it comes to <laughs> accepting things from strangers. You either It either gets you put into a coma if you take it, or you don't, and all of your servants get turned into inanimate objects. My my whole point here being, I feel like this guy maybe gets a bum rap in this. But he's... My point being, if you're in a Disney movie and a creepy old lady gives you an object of any kind, doesn't matter what you do, you're already fucked. <laughs> I do appreciate, as he drives off, the series of expletives that Samara Weaving drops. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, she says every word that there is at this guy as he's driving out. I could listen to Samara Weaving yell and insult people for hours. What kind of ASMR is that? (laughs) A queer one. Fair. Yeah, Uh at at which point Stevens, you know, drives by sweeping for her and she runs off into the woods. Uh, You know, Stevens ends up catching up with her i love that steven supplies his own background music like he just <laughs> whistles every scene he's in you know we don't need a soundtrack he's doing it and when he you know when he's not whistling when he starts listening to real music in the car that's when <laughs> things really get bad yeah he finally he catches her and they they get in a fight grace manages to strangle him with a, a section of her wedding dress yes before like letting him go before jumping in the car stealing the car then he, she makes the mistake of calling not OnStar, very specifically not OnStar. <laughs> this was the, the fact that it's very clearly part OnStar. of the movie. Oh. Yeah, this is so relatable to like every time I've had car trouble because those things never help ever. Yeah, she really wants it to send somebody out to help her, like give her some kind of help. She's got people trying to kill her. The, the guy says, hang on just a moment. And then comes back to tell her <laughs> that the car has been reported stolen. So he's shutting it off remotely and oh. leaves her stranded there. At which point Stevens catches up with her and shoots her with the tranquilizer <laughs> she gun. Says, she says, fuck you, Jake. And he's like, there is no call for that man. Yeah, Jake is very very clearly sitting in a call center somewhere. Like, oh, she's cousing at me. <laughs> I don't understand. I did my job. <laughs> so Stevens catches her, tranquilizes her, and takes the car back over. At which point he calls the family on, on video phone from the car to let them know that he's found Grace, who he's tied up in the back seat. <laughs> And Grace, the video call with them all like in the frame is so funny. It's so good. Yeah, this is one of the I, best. Movies. My yeah. first thought was like, no, don't do video calls while you're driving. <laughs> That's so needlessly dangerous. But on the other hand, you can't do the physical comedy in the scene without it. Right. <laughs> yeah, because he he then he finishes talking to them, leaves the call on, and then turns his <laughs> turns his classical music all the way up. At which point. We and the rest of the family see Grace sit up in the back seat. Yes. And start kicking him in the head, even though she's like still tied up. She's just like working those legs around the seat. I know, uh, queen shit right there. (laughs) Yeah. She's doing everything she can to survive this shit. Like really fucks him up, kicking him in the head. He crashes the car into the woods while the rest of the family watches and ooze and ahs in the background. Really, really great. (laughs) Until it shuts off, and uh, she wakes up in the car and is, uh, you know, 
trying to get out and escape when uh, Daniel shows up. Daniel is there and uh, is is sort of, you know, coaxing her, trying to be nice to her before finally uh, knocking her out. It's revealed that, you know, the dad was there the whole time, just sort of standing yeah. off screen behind a tree, which I read is that, like, Daniel maybe wouldn't have done this if he didn't know the dad was there. But 100%. if he had yeah, that's how I read it too. And I really do For think sure. the dad was giving him the chance to prove whether he was on their side or not too, because why wouldn't he come out and help otherwise? Given what happens next in the movie, presumably immediately after this, he started Googling right. like, hey, how much like hydrofluoric acid can you like feed somebody before you, they die? <laughs> the wild amount of Googling in this movie is so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> And again, I'm not, that's not even the moment I'm inferring had to happen. No, it said. <laughs> yeah. Grace asks, like, it will kill him. And he says, like, no, I Googled it. <laughs> yeah. Which, wow, he's really relying pretty heavy on WikiHow not yeah. murdering his family. Okay. <laughs> I went to Yahoo and much hydrofluoric acid I can poison someone with. <laughs> I feel like you would get an answer immediately for that on <laughs> Yahoo Answers. Which then begs the question, did he, why, how, did he already have that hydrofluoric acid? Oh, he did, because they were pouring it on the bodies in the pit. Okay, that's There was an answer for that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I definitely interpret it as him playing to the crowd. I do too, yeah. Make his move later. I don't know if this is just because we're so team Adam Brody, but I'm like, yes. (laughs) I think, I think one of the things that's consistent about that, though, is like, he's, like reluctant to help his family unless he can't get yeah. out of it, right? And mm-hmm. just like same thing with her arc about the violence. Like one of the things that's like really cool about this movie is like she doesn't start fighting back at, the, at like immediately. Mm-hmm. Like her violence escalates throughout. Yes. So like the first thing is the teapot, right? Like she throws the teapot, and then like even when like the girl the dumbwaiter was gonna like rat her out, she's not trying to kill her. Right. She's trying to even to the moment when she's being crushed by the she's trying to help her get out. Yeah. She hits the kid, and it's not until we see her kicking the butler that we're like, okay, things are getting serious. And then it kind of like leads up to that final scene with, with yeah. Becky. So that's one of the things like, I think like like you know, as as wide as this movie is, I, I do actually sometimes think like if it had been like a main character of color mm. who was going against this, it would have been even more um interesting but i do yeah. like, the, like the characters actually have character arcs which is so rare in horror um, yeah, yes that you can actually say like oh yeah like like they're like going through some shit and like they're behaving like real people right absolutely because i feel like a lot of horror movies the characters buy in way too quickly to like the violence like you're putting right. it yeah I like, like, defend myself and i'm like ah, i think most people would be like is there another way to get through this there's usually either the cabin in the woods dana who never responds to the threat like aside from just hiding and running and then there's your ash williams where it's like shit's going wrong time to immediately go to ultra violence 100 percent. i i think that's that's really interesting and i think to your your point justina i think you very easily could have had you know a, a person of color in this role uh especially considering the like kind of stated class dynamics of the whole thing. I think it would have made perfect sense considering them being a, you know, multi-generational rich white family, presumably mm-hmm. Canadian, or presumably this is happening in New England, even though it was all filmed in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> considering it's all filmed in Canada and almost all the actors are Canadian. Um, it's, presumably this is in New England somewhere. 
that's fair. Can he yeah, and- be sacrificing people to the devil? That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> They got their poutine. What do they have to be upset about? <laughs> their national healthcare. <laughs> yeah, Canadian. I, I, I can't even picture a Canadian sacrificing someone. Canadian family like sacrificing. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm sorry, Canada. I can't. We're sacrificing grace of the Canadian devil. Yes. <laughs> Canadian Satan must be wild. <laughs> Canadian Satan is the name of an amazing horror movie. I don't know what it would be about, but I want to watch it. <laughs> I'm not sure, but someone's definitely getting their throat slit with a like with an ice skating. Yes. Somebody dies in a vat of maple syrup. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Every Canadian listener of this show is shut it off dramatically, yeah. right? Instead of the dramatic like goat baphomet, it's like moose baphomet. You say that, Chris, but I think Canadian listeners just would have thought about turning it off and aggressively turned it down and then felt bad about it, so turned it back up. I feel like they'd just be honored to be included for once. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. We do. We do. Oh. I mean, I, I, I feel love like... You. I love you, Canada. Most of my favorite shows are filmed in Toronto. <laughs> or Vancouver. Or Vancouver. <laughs> I feel like I have a weird picture of, of uh, Canada because most of my most of my friends who are Canadian are either comics creators or professional wrestlers. So whoa, that's, that's a wide divide. Some most that of them was a both. journey. <laughs> so, yes. I was not expecting that direction for that sentence to go. <laughs> yeah, comics creators and pro wrestlers—that's all they got up there. I've been to Montreal enough times to have like a conception of that. And I assume the rest is just letter Kenny. Um, Season nine coming like this. <laughs> uh, the the nice thing about the end of this scene with them uh, at at the crash car is that the dad specifically says, "We got one hour until dawn." It's like a nice time marker. Yeah. There is, you know, it, it's yes. getting close. We're getting close to the end of the movie. Things are <laughs> dire. We gotta kill this girl of, now. It reminded me of that Simpsons episode. Uh, where Homer gets into the duel and Marge is calling the weather service to confirm the time of sundown. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a great point. If you make a deal with the devil, you have to be very clear about exactly what counts as sunrise and sundown. Well, at one point, the dad specifically refers to an eradication clause. And I'm just like, fuck, demon lawyers at it again. That's really what I thought. I wrote that as one of my first notes about this movie was, oh, the demon lawyer was hard at work on this deal. Yeah, the demon lawyer is an actual character in this. This is just not something we're making up. It's like he's an implied, you know, real per- real character in all of this. The exact words are eradication clause, which sounds like the title of a John Grisham novel. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great uh, John Gershom novel. Uh, flashback to the house first. We're having a seeing a conversation between Andy McDowell and, and Alex about how uh, you know Alex has to protect the family. Um, right. Alex left the family because of the weekly goat sacrifices, <laughs> and they seemed normal to him. And he realized that that was weird. Um, I would like to know the you know because 
everyone's childhood, you know, seems normal to them to a point, and then you realize wh where it isn't, right, mm -hmm. at some point in your childhood. I mm -hmm. want to know the conversation he was having. He's, like, at school over lunch, and he's, like, you know, when you and your family sacrifice the goats, and everybody just stops talking. <laughs> Wait, like, they talk about that other family that didn't do the sacrifice and gets, like, eradicated, so right. if all his friends were all, like, goat sacrificing kids, and they're like, yeah, last night week, my mom wouldn't even let me cut the throat, she's so mean, like, this presumably, like, it's presumably a New England prep school, so I assume they are all murdering goats. <laughs> they're all presumably murdering when goats. Presumably, it's like, watching, like, Christmas specials, it's like, hey, I'm watching on TV, uh, None of the families on these Christmas specials are sacrificing a goat. It's okay, honey. They're poor. Like <laughs> I have been watching iCarly for four years, and she hasn't murdered one goat. I mean, like, where is that episode? The show is so unrealistic. Like, I've been watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and they haven't killed any goats except for that one time. For that one time. I don't think there have been any deaths. No, I don't think they've killed a goat specifically on It's Always Sunny. Just Google the gang kills a goat. And we'll... yeah. <laughs> gang sacrifices a goat. Um, no sacrifices on television. Go. Yeah. So, so Alex has maybe Alex's only like good and relatable bit here, which yes. is where he's like, I, you know, I realized that I could be, that I could do anything. I could be talked into anything if my family said it was okay. That's the bit where I'm like, yeah, man, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. And then turns around and... Captain of not following his ship. own advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it turns out he was entirely correct about that. <laughs> yup. Yeah. So uh, we, we get to Grace who's being, you know, tied up and she's waking up tied up and prepped for a sacrifice on top of a table. The, the dad is reading a invocation in Latin, which we all know is evil because it's Latin. Um, <laughs> Latin is fucking evil. As they, as they all drink wine from a shared goblet that he's passing around. Finally, he gets to the end of the thing where they just, where he outright shouts, he has to be apparently in English, Hail Satan. Uh, <laughs> can't just say that in Latin. At which point he gets halfway through that and starts vomiting, as does everybody else but Daniel. And uh, it, it turns out, you know, the wine was poisoned. I guess the only other person who's not here is Alex, who is still chained up in the other room. Right. Everybody else starts vomiting. Uh, Daniel cuts Grace loose and, you know, reveals that he has poisoned the family just enough to make them all sick. I think he says they'll have the shits for weeks, but nobody's <laughs> going to die. Meanwhile, Alex is also breaking loose after several hours of beating up this bedpost in, in very close up. Um, he's finally gotten out. Uh, yeah. But before Alex can be part of this situation, Charity finds Daniel and Grace. Well, they have a conversation first, right? Because he says the line, which I think like broke my heart from Daniel, which is when he's, when she says, you protected Alex. And he's like, if I had protected him, I wouldn't have let you marry him. And it was like, oh, Daniel, you're too yeah. pure for this family. Uh, Daniel proves to be the, the good guy in this all the way to the very end when his own wife shoots him for standing between her and the girl that she wants to kill. Um, right. Yeah, at it's which point not, uh, Grace fucks up Charity. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very subtle with the brothers, but you have mm -hmm. Alex convinced of his own superior morality being a piece of shit. 
and you have Daniel utterly convinced of his own irredeemable rottenness, who's actually like the one good person in the family. Right. And he dies truly believing that Alex is better than him because he's like, I was, you know, at one point he says, I'm not the one who's going to save you. Alex is going to be the one that's going to save you. And he dies with that belief and he does not live to see Alex become the chippiest chip to ever chip. <laughs> I, I feel like it's almost better that way because I, I feel do too. Like, like there's a thing like local man like who ha- like who thought he had no more hope to lose loses his last bit of hope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like that would have been Daniel's reaction to realizing that he's a better person than Alex. Yeah, I think yeah, he put all. You're right. He put all the goodness of, that is left in their family on Alex. And it was totally incorrect, but it. It is nice that he doesn't ever have to find out because what he would have found out is that he sacrificed himself for nothing all of these years. You know, he he was the one that got all the trauma to save his brother, you know, and it would have been for nothing. So it is nice that he doesn't know that. But I'm sad because I know that. Adam Brody, you deserve better. Grace leaves Charity behind and runs off and uh, runs directly into Dad, who uh, <laughs> is angry that she continues to exist. She hits him with a lantern and then... Yes. Uh, throws the lantern down, starting a fire in the process. And then she she takes off, runs immediately into their mother, while uh, Alex finds Daniel choking on his own blood in the hallway, sadly st- sits over him as he dies. Grace and the mom get into a, uh, a fight as she tries to... She tries to arrow Grace a few times, and that doesn't really work, so they go straight fist fight, and she's choking Grace out, at which point Grace manages to get a hold of the puzzle box and not not just beat the mom to death with it, but cave in her head with it after hitting her several times. She rearranged her face quite literally. And, and naturally, this is where Alex walks in to find Grace yeah. laying on, sitting on top of his uh, caved-in head mom after just having watched his brother die. Um, In-laws, am I right? <laughs> what, what kills me about this is that Grace apologizes, too. Like, she... She right? apologizes for killing his mom, even though his mom and everybody else has been trying to kill her all night. Oh um, and then he then proceeds to turn on her. But he tries to like touch her. Isn't that this part where he tries to touch yeah. her and she's yeah. like, nope. And, <laughs> and the line he says specifically before he really turns on her is, you like, won't, you be won't be with me, me after, after this. this. Yeah, you Will won't you? be with yeah. me after this. And that's that where- fucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, if she- I can't have you, I might as well murder you. <laughs> If I and can't have does, you, I guess it's cult time. It does really show that whatever Alex did to help her before this, he is not willing to sacrifice himself for her the way Daniel was. What's that shit pairing where it's like angry, brash girl with like handsome, depressed, like Byronic man? I love it. <laughs> that's my shit right there. I mean, that's a fucking angel, right? <laughs> You're like, I don't know what it is, but oh, I want yeah. that, is, exactly. that is a buff, that is a Buffy I, and Angel right there. Yeah, that's the first two seasons Buffy and Angel. Somebody tell me what that trope is called so I can start you know looking for it on AO3. That's what I want. <laughs> I, I think I think Jeremy nailed it. It's the Buffy, it's the first season. We know season I don't of, care about Buffy, so you gotta give me something else. It's like most of Netflix's uh original programming. So. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Broken man, angry girl. <laughs> It's a, it's a Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley thing, right? Yeah. I guess that's I true. Mean, <laughs> that really is. That's a, that's a, Am uh, I now Googling uh, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley fan fiction? There Shelley. has to be great like fan fiction of this. About show. them having sex on her mom's grave? Because I'm sure there is. 
I mean, like, as far I as like I can tell, their be, life is I, fan fiction because it's the two of them and Byron just hanging out in cabins and fucking till two a.m. As far as I, I can feel like, they would also really <laughs> approve of the fan of their being fanfic. Oh yeah, they they are delighted. Yeah, I mean, Byron, I, assume, I say they are fanfic. they are because of course they're haunting somewhere. I, I don't know where, but somewhere. <laughs> so I'm gonna say this trope is called the Shelleys. The Shelleys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Shelly trope, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you mean like Ninja Turtles? <laughs> oh, no. oh no, is that furries? Though? That's furries, but Ninja Turtles. The key though, it can't be like it can't be like Bojack self-loathing where he's self-loathing, but he really is a piece of shit. <laughs> like it has to be self-loathing that like is mostly unwarranted. Yeah, that is unwarranted. So it feels like this tragic self-loathing or the self-loathing like motivates the innate goodness in the character. Oh man, this reminds me, God, what was that TV show that was like really, it was a really weird one that came out with the drugs and the, like the Japanese company that was on Netflix. Oh, um, it was the one with Jonah Hill and Emma Stone, right? Yeah. Oh, I, re- I really enjoyed that. So did I. I cannot fucking remember the title of it. That is uh, Maniac. Maniac, yeah. With Justin, Th- Justin Theroux playing the weirdest role. <laughs> I may have not, to, yeah, yeah, I might have to bump it up my list. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched it, there's definitely angry girl and a self-loathing guy who thinks he's a piece of shit, but isn't really. Ugh, yes. Oh, for it. sure. I love it. <laughs> I want a t-shirt that says angry girl self-loathing guy. <laughs> can, that be our, can that be our second t-shirt? After yeah, just... <laughs> can that be our merch? <laughs> I mean, it's got to... You... It's gotta, gotta be mix a match that in set. with the devil lawyer, you know? I was gonna say, it's gotta be a match set that you we can to, get your angry girl, the other person can get we need to do, uh, We need to do market testing. Send us, <laughs> send us what you want. The angry girl, self-loving guy, or demon lawyer, or be gay, eat people. I mean... <laughs> I, honestly, it has to be be gay, eat people. Let's be real. <laughs> Chris, if there's... Anything that is our brand, it's gay cannibals. It is gay cannibals. We're very pro gay cannibalism on the show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Not like in the Gunway Jeremy is like, I don't think I want to see <laughs> Hey, I was the one that said be gay, eat people. So. Was our, uh, I believe we made it all the way to like episode two before we got to the technically cannibalism is a crime. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> we're, we're almost done with this. I know. Get this. Get Let's the ship back the on the rails. Last scene here. It's take two on the sacrifice. She is tied tied down again. You know, Alex is going to do the stabbing himself. They all give a good hearty uh, hail Satan before <laughs> he goes to drive the knife down into her. She jerks to the side, pulling out and Helen with her, and gets the. Yes. Uh, the knife in the shoulder instead of in the chest. And this is um, the perfect scream moment where she's just making this sound that is so amazing. She's making a goat noise. Like, <laughs> it is a high-pitched, scared goat noise. Um, scared and angry. it seems like she cannot scared. control it. Like, it is just coming yeah. out of her, like, so out of her if, face. if we ever do exorcism, like, Samara Weaving can do, like, demon screams without any yeah. sound editing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then she pulls the knife out of her own shoulder and starts wielding it at people to keep them back. 
Yes. At which point the aunt realizes that the sun has risen and that it's too late, but then nothing happens to them. And well, they all freeze. They're, they're just like, they're just clenched. Fitch, of course, is the first one to be like, so like, what do we do with her? If, like, she knows about all this stuff. <laughs> he also is the one that goes, I knew it was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Google search told me so. <laughs> I got a hit on Snopes. It's bullshit. <laughs> he did a Twitter poll and like most of his followers said it was bullshit. Anyway, Helen decides it doesn't matter. She's not going to let the devil down. She's going to grab her axe and kill Grace anyway. At which point she moves to kill Grace and explodes. Um, The first time I watched this movie, I was so shocked. But then, like she does, I also started laughing. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you from having seen this in theaters, that was everybody's reaction. (laughs) (laughs) It was somehow the most gruesome thing I have ever found funny. Everybody's reaction in the whole theater was, holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) And then she gives this little snort. (laughs) Tamara Weaving's noises in this movie are like the best thing. I mean, is Alex's speech here the most pathetic and passable speech any film character has ever given? A hundred percent. He wins the award for being the worst to the literal very last second. And yeah. she tosses the ring at him, and when the ring hits him, he explodes. And I was like, Mr. LaBelle is sitting back there laughing his ass off. <laughs> yeah, like, the limb explodes, and then everybody else, including the children, explode. Uh, yes. they, they They do us the favor of having the children explode off screen and just having the guts fly back into the room. <laughs> Ours is so much better, question mark. I'm a little disappointed that Emily's blood explosion, you didn't also see, like, just some cocaine. Like, a of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> The two of them burst and shoot blood, and hers is just a puff of white. Yeah. <laughs> She's got cocaine where her blood should be. Um, I do, I do enjoy that the sound effects are such that Emily has a loud pop, and then they have two little pops. <laughs> yeah. Both visually and audibly, every person pop is really satisfying. It's like bubble wrap, but people. Yeah. yeah, that the it dad so goes out satisfied. giving like a self-righteous speech about how he did everything right. Yeah, he anyway. should have made a better deal. Yeah, except he obviously didn't. He didn't kill the one person he was supposed to kill. <laughs> yeah, so Alex is the last one left, and he's like begging Grace to stay. He's like, "You saved me. You gave me a second chance. It's 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 meant to be. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. by by marrying me that you got me out of this family." And she laughs in his face, takes <laughs> off the rig. It says, Alex, I want a divorce, throws it at him. And when it hits him, he explodes. It's so good. So fucking satisfying. And she turns around and sees Mr. LaBelle and he nods at her like, good job. Yeah. LaBelle <laughs> has nothing you know, not a sense of timing. He's, I feel like he was like, you know what? They were starting to get on my nerves. LaBelle <laughs> also like, looks... Looks for that brief moment like Demon Colonel Sanders. So <laughs> yes, he's by like, which you mean the Mario Lopez Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Demon Colonel Sanders. Oh, uh, but uh, you know, then she she slowly trudges out of the house. She grabs the mom's cigarette case and takes it with her, and uh, lights herself a cigarette and sits on the front porch or on the front stairs as the uh, rest <laughs> of the people arrive. I do enjoy that she like. On seeing all the wedding stuff out there, like laughs. Yeah. Yeah. There's and they play the music that's like a remixed um, wedding march for a second. Yeah. Did you know? Oh yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, Yeah, I did, and I really like that. 
Also, the cops that then show up, are those the cops that not all star called? <laughs> Did it take them like an hour and a half to show up? <laughs> Sounds about right. Fuck. I mean, you would think that that football. would be the one state that you'd be able to get cops out to in a... Like, right. Uh, yeah, although Shit, I... not even rich white people can get, like, police. I know. <laughs> Maybe my favorite line in this whole thing is the last line of the movie, which is where, like, yes. she sits down on the steps and a cop, somebody that you don't even see, runs up to her and is like, ma'am, what happened? Are you okay? And, you know, what happened to you? And she says, in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> was so good that's such a great ending that i i feel like they had to start with that like someone was like what if there was a horror movie about like a bride gets married and then her new in-laws try to like spend a whole night murdering her and then at the end she's just like (laughs) in-laws and they just figured out the rest from there 100 percent. i doubt that's definitely how it happened Like, I feel yeah. like that ending was, like, part of, like, that two-sentence bare bones, like, oh, I just had an idea. Yeah. That's, like, the first thing you write down. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the end of the movie. Uh, you know, we, we go into the credits, but as you were mentioning, the uh, yeah the version of uh, Love Me Tender, which is by Stereo Jane, is covered and remade mm. especially for the film. That was super cool. Um, but, yeah, that's the end of, of that. So I, I guess the <laughs> the thing to do now is to talk about our questions here. Um, I think like there's a couple that we can go through really fast here. Uh-huh. Because uh, mental illness, mental health, physical disability, anything? Nope. Nope. No, nope. Okay, nothing. What, nothing. Check that out. Nope. <laughs> uh, LGBTQ rep. Nope. Uh, Adam Brody is bisexual in every movie. Okay. Yes. That's all. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Adam Brody feels especially bisexual in this movie. He does feel especially. I've said the word Byron too many times for it not to be a little bi. (laughs) Yes, 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 one hundred percent. He is bisexual, and uh, the mom's high ponytail is also gay. Just the ponytail, not the mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would watch a movie with you know gay Andy McDowell, but this is not that movie. No, no, just her ponytail. Yeah. Andy McDowell is great in this movie. Uh, she is not gay in this movie. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said before, literally every adult character in this movie is married to a person of the opposite sex. Like, yep. Fitch feels like a straight frat bro version <laughs> of the decorator character from Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the other one this movie can... is somehow, though, not as aggressively heterosexual as Cabin in the Woods, despite neither movie having queer characters. And I don't know how to explain it or have any answers to it. It's Adam Brody. <laughs> it's Adam yeah, Brody. It's Adam, it really is Adam Brody. <laughs> Just kidding, I have the answer. It's Adam Brody. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like Adam Brody. Look, Samara Weaving is so fantastic. And then Adam Brody's just doing a lot of heavy lifting, too. I mean, I, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's the queering of the gender roles in this movie in general, yeah. like as compared That's to Cabin fair. in the Woods, where like the the female characters are useless at the moment that things start going wrong. Cabin in the Woods is the is a movie version of the statement "No homo." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. They, they should they should put that on the fucking DVD box. No. Just on the front, it just says "quotes No homo, Joss Whedon." <laughs> Whereas, like. I feel like this movie with Adam Brody is like, you can have a little a homo as a treat. <laughs> a little homo as a treat. <laughs> we will give you Adam Brody with that 
beard and that bow tie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wearing his his wedding suit with the suspenders the whole time. Yeah, no, yeah. There, that is that is not a straight man right there. You cannot tell me that he is. Yeah, and once Samara weaving, you know, rips her her sleeves off, then you know, yeah, it's sort of 100%. equal footing there. <laughs> um, and I guess the other one that we we can go through fairly quickly here is the uh, racial and social, or I guess specifically the racial aspects of this movie. There is one, maybe two identifiable, char- identifiable characters of color. They're both servants, and they both get killed because um, yeah, yeah, Tina, who is the the middle person killed, is uh, a person of color, and then Dora mm-hmm. might be. It's a little difficult to tell because they're all sort of like in the brief period we see <laughs> before the coked out white woman murders them. Honestly. And do you have anything to add to that? It would be hard to have the option to cast Samara Weaving in this role and to choose anybody else, but that, that role could easily be a person of color. Mm-hmm. Like um, As could Fitch, Charity, for that matter. Yeah, Fitch or Charity easily could have been a person of color. I think if Fitch was a person of color, that would have bothered me in this movie. <laughs> if he was yeah. the only person of color, he's just yeah. the, and he was that like off-putting and broy. Honestly, <laughs> I, think. Um, I think Charity would have been problematic too because she's easily the most evil character in this movie. It's sort of the the problem the babysitter. I don't know if you guys have seen the babysitter. Yes, the second one. <laughs> it has that same problem where like the one character of color is like a douchey villain. Mm, Actually, yeah. the few characters of color are yeah villains. And I know like the sequel has the girl. They had a girl who's who could be a person of color but like it did it it is off-putting in, in that movie because you're like you want to root for a person of color right just in a while uh, <laughs> and it's just like well guys yeah i very specifically comes- talked about when i saw that movie that like there's this there's no there's no people of color in any sort of protagonist role in that movie and there are yeah. two there are two characters in that who are villains who are likable and they're neither of the people of color like Samara Weaving yeah. is great in that and then uh, Robbie Amell is funny as hell in that movie but yeah the two people of color are the first two people he kills and like one is a, a witchy Asian stereotype and one is a really broy black stereotype that like is super like off-putting McGee stuff I mean it's it's McGee like like yeah. I don't think that um, man has ever found like a, a stereotype that love. <laughs> the one, especially if like if you're a few characters of color, like villains, especially if like your symbolism, your messages can get really muddled and weird. Like I remember the first season of Sabrina, where oh here's Sabrina, like oh, yeah. fantasy mixed race against her rival, an actual biracial character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we're saying is this movie could have done a lot worse than it did, but it also could have done a lot better. I feel like there's a lot of- could have done anything. Where... could have done anything. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of movies where we walk away from it going where it's like, well, it didn't try and maybe that's yeah. for the best. <laughs> Yeah. That's fair. I feel I feel like if the main character was going to be a person of color, the, the people in charge of this movie needed to be people of color to make it work. At the very least, the writers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, because if you specifically make Grace a person of color, then it's like interracial marriage and mm-hmm. every and all the history of that yeah. becomes a layer on top of everything, which needs yeah. to, really needs inte- intelligent voices to tell, right? Right. And and at that point, you very specifically need to say that Grace's parents are dead, that Grace's parents died when she was young, and mm-hmm. not that uh, there's any other possible explanation right. for her not having a family. Yeah. <laughs> so they did dodge a few bullets, is what we're saying. Yeah. I think yeah. they dodge a lot of bullets, though, because 
all of their feminine characters have active roles. Yes. Like, so that's like, that's like such a, a big thing in horror is the having your, you know, feminine coded characters actually having an active role. And I, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the nice things about this movie is yeah, that's... whatever else they did, didn't do, no one feels like they're just going through the motions. Yeah, this movie is extremely feminist. Yeah. Like Grace, Becky, and Emily are all very unique, fully realized characters who are all a lot of fun. And Charity, too, is a fully realized character. I mean, the choices, the autonomous choices she makes are terrible, but they're very autonomous. Like (laughs) true. (laughs) Yeah, and and the other the other female characters are competent enough that like Mm -hmm. having Emily there. Emily is not yeah the fuck up is fine because Emily is not stupid. She's coked up. So that's like important. Oh really we don't know that she's stupid. I guess we should (laughs) (laughs) maybe she is, but we don't we never know. It's not like she's just an idiot. She has a reason for the way that she's acting. I mean, I guess she she's a drug induced idiot. <laughs> her coke does not make her creative. <laughs> yeah. I think you know having having Grace and Becky and Charity there gives you room to have Emily as a comedic relief, and then yeah. it gives you room to have Aunt Helen on the other end, who is an overly severe <laughs> you know widow. Yeah, I forgot about Helen, the craziest, most extra of them all. Yeah, no, like, I love it. This is a very feminist movie. So, I did Helen love. have an accent that none of the other family members and have? Was it vaguely Transylvanian? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was vaguely French, which I just oh, maybe show that I don't know. That's a fair point. Accents. Which, again, that's some big evil wine aunt energy. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that it's not even a real accent. <laughs> she just puts it on. <laughs> <laughs> She's Madonna-ing. With Transylvania. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I think that buys them a lot of room to to have the servants who are killed for no good reason all be fairly attractive 20-somethings as well. Like, Well, there specifically is a line that all of those women were hired because they're dancers. They're not, they, they're, I, I'm assuming they're implying they're strippers uh, was what I got from that because they of the you know they were hired because they liked the way they looked so they, you know there was even some intention behind that part. I feel like if there's a worse version of the movie where it's like it's Grace and it's just like a bunch of like the male relatives like yeah. hunting her down and then like the maids die like uh, yeah. like they're getting killed be- like really just becomes like feels much more gratuitous and misogynistic. Yeah. But because there's all these different women characters, good, evil, competent, dangerous fuck-ups, it really, it doesn't carry any of that baggage. And it's really just allowed to be this weirdly dark, hilarious running gag. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I do think, like, it it all works out very well. And I think, you know, talking about people having active roles, not, um, you know, not just Grace, who has a very active role, but that specifically... You know, you have Becky who has been sort of like has related to Grace at the beginning. You know, once it becomes a question of, you know, protecting her family, being the one who like even when the dad is moping and upset about things is like, hold on. We just all got to like get our shit together. Go turn on the cameras and we're going to kill her. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. starts giving out orders. Yeah. All right. Are we at a rating? Uh, Well, one last thing. And I think this is kind of a big one for this is how does the movie deal with class? Oh, yeah. Really well, I think. Fucking rich people. <laughs> fucking yeah. rich. So a reprise, and this is fucking rich people. 
uh, <laughs> so at some point fuck where somebody, them, but do not fuck them if you know what I mean. <laughs> I think it's Daniel says rich people really are different at one point in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Once it's revealed that there is a, a demonic ceremony involved in this family, yeah. her, her trying to get the car, and then the fact that like servants just keep dying and they don't really give a shit, and they're just, yeah. you know. It's just inconvenient for them. Right. The death of other, the death of people of lower class is just moderately inconvenient to them. Right, because they have to clean it up. But th- that's it. That's the only reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it should be those people cleaning up the mess. Which, which side do you need? And really, if they, they only need to do that because they killed all the help that otherwise <laughs> would have cleaned up the bodies. Right. They actually said that because when the first one died, they're like, get the others in here to clean this up. With that covered, um, I mean, class is definitely an important part of this thing. Mm-hmm. Overall, sort of final impressions. Do you, you guys feel like this movie is worth seeing? Would you recommend it to people? Oh, yes. absolutely. I love this movie so much. This movie was an absolute blast to watch. <laughs> and at the end, it was literally a blast. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Justina? No, I definitely agree. I uh, I really enjoyed it. I really love the ending, too. I, there was a point, like, halfway through when I was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. But it definitely, that last act really brings it back around. Yeah, there are a lot of horror movies that I don't love re-watching if I've seen them already. Mm-hmm. You, you lose some of the surprise elements and stuff. But this is one that, you know, I, I mentioned I saw in theaters uh, with Alicia, who doesn't love a lot of horror movies and really loved this one. Yeah. I was excited to be watching again for this because it it's so much fun. And it's so, it does so much horror movie traditional stuff well while mm-hmm. sort of updating it and making it better. This is definitely... You know, we've talked about, like, you know, we talked especially about, like, The Descent last week uh, being a movie, like, I would only recommend to, like, the most, like, hardcore of horror fans. This is, I feel like, on the opposite end, this is a movie I would have a very easy time recommending yeah. to people who don't consider themselves horror fans. Yeah, I agree. I watched it, uh, I think, during October for Halloween and then watched it again now. And even though it was that close, I, I still had just as much fun watching it a second time. Yeah, this feels really to me like sort of the the ideal like the uh, of what a what a like a Bloomhouse movie is mm-hmm. of you know this sort of fresh spin, younger actors, you know, really like fun idea, fun movie um, that's you know just executed well. You know, it doesn't need to do anything really grand, but what it does, it does very well. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I think we all come down in favor of, of people checking this out. Before we before we move on to recommendations, does anybody have any uh, soapboxes they wanted to get on about this? Anything that uh, we didn't mention that you want to talk about? Nope, I'm good. You know what? Just because some of those wounds look so bad, I'm just gonna reiterate: if you get if you have any cuts or wounds, make sure you wash those <laughs> off. That did put a disinfectant, a little neosporin. Check if you need stitches. Just infections are no joke. Justina, anything you wanted to add? The devil. Yeah. That's the takeaway here. Yes. It's uh, one of one of several movies recently where that's right. <laughs> In fact, like, most movies. Yeah. There are very few movies in which Deal with Devil works out well. I'm going to write that movie. Maybe not. Yes, Jeremy, write that movie. <laughs> it's like a very chill deal with the devil and everything goes fine. The end. Yeah. Uh, isn't devil. that bedazzled with uh, Elizabeth Hurley and Brendan Fraser? That oh ends up all there. Well. Amazing. Best deal with the devil movie ever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, meet Joe Black, where it's like, hey, you just gotta like, 
hang out with Brad Pitt for a while and <laughs> just get to like cheat death. <laughs> and I guess to be fair, many episodes of Lucifer end with people making deals with the devil and it going fine. So that is the friendliest devil. <laughs> the friendliest devil of all. <laughs> He's like, I'll make a deal with you, and in exchange, you need to get you need to get back in touch with your kids. <laughs> also, one of the friendliest LA residents that have ever existed on television. <laughs> devil or no. <laughs> I mean, I think that's generally true of L.A., like, as a real place, right? <laughs> I don't know what's crazier, that they took the fucking God Cop joke from 30 Rock and made a real show out of it, <laughs> or that they fucking pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> For, like, eight seasons. It's it, so good, dude. And it, it just, stayed yeah. good? Yeah. And it got gayer? Which is it what got, it, is what? it did. It got way gayer and better once they moved to Netflix. Yes, and they didn't have to send their, their gay angel to, to hell, you know? It's fine. All right, uh, so now, recommendations. Yes! Uh, Tina, uh, if people loved this movie, do you have anything you would recommend they check out? Yes, um, if you loved this movie, I would recommend you check out Happy Death Day to yes. you. Yes. I think that's a, a good watch-alike. I like that one as well. Kind of same, the same fun vibe where it's horror, but you're not going to leave the lights on at night. I would uh, throw out there that um, if you liked this movie, I would recommend the book Mexican Gothic, which is also about uh, rich people being awful and the awesome badass woman that has to deal with rich people being awful. And it has way more people of color in it. I also don't think that's avoid. super scary. It's <laughs> like, horror, but I don't think it's super, super scary. No, I think it has, like this, it has a few moments that are scary, but it's not like leave the lights on scary let's see i feel like i've already recommended parasite but everything <laughs> makes me want to recommend parasite so i'm gonna say if you want more rich people super rich people being horribly weird and, and messed up i'm gonna recommend secession oh <laughs> oh my god i hate that show so much <laughs> my husband loves it but it's it's I I think he he likes it for the same reason that you're recommending it, which is like it's really truly rich people being awful. Oh yeah, it's the most horrible people. Yeah, being terrible and terrible things it's happening to them. You know what's wild is I feel like this is the first movie where like Riverdale would have been a, a thing that people could actually recommend to go with this. True. <laughs> 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 talk about Riverdale like every episode. For a show I haven't watched in five years, I bring it up frequently. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the problem is that as, for as much as we like talking about Riverdale more than we like watching Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, so here's here's my recommendation. Watch season three in which Chad Michael Murray is a cult leader. That's the most alike of this movie. Uh, Chad Michael Murray is a cult leader. Um, I like oh. to think that's actually like a carryover from his previous characters. That, you know, I know. <laughs> the Chad Michael Murray character grew up to be a cult leader. Yes, 100%. I mean, let's be honest. One Tree Hill sounds like the name of a cult. <laughs> it really does. Um, or bad wine. Really bad wine. Oh, yes. Ooh, yeah. No, I, I really wanted to recommend another Samara Weaving movie for this because I actually, like, I love Samara Weaving. I think she's really fantastic. But we've already talked about Mayhem. And uh, yeah. I feel like uh, the the only one that, like, we haven't really covered and we've actually talked about a little bit already even in this episode that i would definitely recommend people check out even though it's not a horror movie is bill and ted face the music because you know i i 
can't get enough of Samara Weaving being like she's so great and a it? super great actress. She's she's so good. Um, but yeah, people should definitely check that out. And at this point, she is like one of a handful of people that I'm like, oh, Samara Weaving is in this. I'll check it out. Like, which is how I ended up watching Babysitter, despite McGee's name being attached to it. <laughs> at which point, I was like, it's like it's like a three star movie because of Samara Weaving, but she gets all of those stars. <laughs> her her and Robbie Amell are the only reasons to watch that movie. It could be a super good movie if it weren't for the director. All right. Uh, well, that wraps up all of our recommendations. The only thing left is to uh, let people know where they can find us online. Justina, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter as at Justina Ireland. And for a hot second, you can also find me on TikTok as Justina Ireland. Yeah, it's, it's an experiment. I don't think it's going to take, but... <laughs> it's it's this week so you know <laughs> maybe in the future you can find me there too and then i have a, my website is always updated it's justineireland.com and uh chris where can people find you online you can find me on twitter at the myth of psyche and you can also find me over at my show gotham outsiders where i talk about why batman is so gay uh, and, and ben where can people find you online you can find me at twitter at at ben the con and uh, my upcoming book, Renegade Rule, from Dark Horse Comics, is coming out uh, this June. And by the time this episode comes out, some preview pages will have started going up. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, it's available for pre-order now. And if asked, will you also tell people why Batman is so gay? Absolutely. <laughs> ben has okay. been on the show, and Justina have been on the show, I and guess. you have been on the show. So all everyone in this podcast has talked about why Batman is so gay. <laughs> I mean, I did all my talking about Batgirl, who is also pretty gay. <laughs> uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. So it's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Uh, my website is jeremywhitley.com, where you can find out about all the comic books and other things that I'm writing that are coming out. Included amongst those, what will be fresh out probably within a month of this coming out is our Raven the Pirate Princess book nine, um, just is finally coming out. Um, and uh, pretty soon you'll be able to, uh, I think actually even now you can pre-order School for Extraterrestrial Girls book two, which is coming out this summer, uh, which is my my new, you know, all ages series. The first one of which came out earlier this year and is a, a lot of fun. As for the podcast, Progressively Horrified is at Prog Horror Pod at, on Twitter. We are on Patreon now. It's patreon.com slash progressively horrified. Uh, our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm where you can subscribe to the RSS feed manually or through any number of other services. Uh, everything is up there. And if you are subscribed through one of those services, it would be really awesome if you could go on there and you know rate and review and, and tell people how great we are and subscribe if you're not already uh, because the, the more people you know rate and review stuff, the more they talk about it, the more people find the show and the more uh, fun stuff like this we can do. And we love doing this fun stuff. And feel uh, free to rate it five stars and then just say Ben Wiggins, do an album. That's really all <laughs> I need you to do. Yeah, so I mean, we already found out Sarah Swire is doing an album. So very excited just for have that. to get Ben Wiggins to do one now. <laughs> uh, well, that is, that is all for this week. Justina, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks to all of you for listening out there. Be sure to join us the next two weeks because we have a very 
I want to say a special project going on over the next two weeks uh, where we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite very 90s movie about witches, The Craft, and the new Bloomhouse sequel, Reimagining. Very, I'm sure at some point will be the very 2010s movie about witches, uh, The Craft Legacy. We'll be doing that the next two weeks, so you'll definitely want to check that out because it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you know you get out your your leather collars and heavy mascara, and we'll see you there. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Chris Carey, and Justina Ireland. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. <laughs>